High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, dreamers, fans of Corey Haim, fans of Corey Feldman, fans of both the Coreys. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where means of friends look back at their teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Ryan Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results... And please excuse any noise you may hear in the background. Ice cream trucks, cars blasting music, people generally screaming. Enjoy, enjoy. Not in fear, I hope. My Neighborhood gets bumping on a Friday. If you want to know why or want to learn more, wait till In the Heights comes out on HBO Max. Not a cheap plug. I didn't work for them, but that'll explain the neighborhood a little bit more. That's all I'm saying. Thank you so much for stopping by today. We got to talk about your homework, though. Of course, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And of course, you could always check out our archive of previous episodes at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And remember, the best thing you can do to help High School Slumber Party out is by telling a friend about all the magic and the dreams we make come true here on High School Slumber Party. Your other homework, of course was to listen to last week's episode, listen to this Monday's episode. It's been good. It's been fun. Last Friday's episode, we talked Restless, the last Gus Van Sant film we're going to cover here, at least for now, unless he makes another teen film. Who knows? Shawnee Mead was a great guest. And on Monday, another episode of High School Slumber Party AP with Island Addington. We were both here rocking it with one of the best movies of 2020, a sad movie. I don't want to say a dark movie. Yeah, kind of a dark movie. It's not a movie like this. We'll put it that way. The movie was never, rarely, sometimes, always. If you haven't listened to that episode, if you haven't seen that movie, please see that movie. It is so, so good. Whoa, whoa, the bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. I feel like the bell came early today. It must know how long today's episode is. Of course, your other homework was to watch Dream a Little Dream because the Mikesters here, Mike Manzi, we're here to talk about it. This is first in a new series we're doing. We're talking Corey movies. We'll explain it a little bit more in the episode, so I'm not going to get into it too much here. All I know is Joey saw this runtime. Joey Lewandowski, the godfather of the Cage Club Podcast Network. He saw this runtime and he was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, we talk for a while, but we talk more than Dream a Little Dream. We talk about the Corys. We have to intro this series we're doing. So that's why it feels so long, I think, in my opinion, in my mind. Who knows? Point is, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy everything to do with Corey Feldman, Corey Haim, and this weird movie that a lot of people like, but 
Maybe it's going to be our most controversial episode yet. Who knows? Mike and I don't exactly agree. And that's your tease. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother sleeping at Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. The party's already started in this neighborhood. So I'll leave you with... What else could I leave you with? A song from the film, the title track from the film, Dream a Little Dream, but we're going to do the version that plays in the credits. That's Mel Tomei and Mickey Thomas. Class dismissed. I forgot to wash my hands. There's sticky mousse all over it from my hair. <laughs> wait, are you being serious? Or <laughs> Brian? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, and then I'm like, eh, we're rolling. Possible. We're rolling. I'm in character. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's funny from the movie, and they're like, wait, I don't want to laugh at his misery. If that's <laughs> the case, <laughs> it wouldn't be misery. I mean, misery is cutting a hole in my favorite shirt just to wear it one day. Oh boy. <laughs> Okay, uh, Mike, happy to have you on. The slumberers must recognize that voice, but uh, you know we're embarking on something very, very interesting, which we'll yes, get into I'm, in a second. I'm very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, why don't you uh, just reintroduce yourself? And again, sure. I don't even care what you say at this point. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'll do the traditional thing. Uh, Mike Manzi, RHS, class of 97. Go Maroons! Yeah. You know, I've uh, often dreamed of a better mascot for our high school, but, you know, it never came through. We kind of have bandied about this little uh, idea project here of doing something on the Corys. The the two Corys, yes. The two Corys, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I think it started as just, like, first maybe joint Cory movies, then dabbling into some other Cory movies. Because every single person I talk to, hey, want to be on the Cory lap? Well, I don't want to be on those movies, but I'd love to do this random Corey movie here. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then just looking up the IMDb for these two actors, they did so many teen movies, especially Corey Haim eventually does so many into his 20s that it's like super fucked up. We know it's a really tragic story between <laughs> these, these two Corys. We know, you know, childhood stars become best friends. And then just the darkest, darkest, darkest journeys of drugs and pedophilia and all these terrible things that happen to them. Products of the system, for sure. Terrible. Exactly. It's that whole, like, uh, you know. Well, Alex Winter uh, recently made a documentary about it, about uh, kids stars. Oh, yeah, Showbiz Kids, Showbiz Kids, yeah, you know, and I'm sure it addresses, you know, he's out about the uh, similar issues that he had, you know, and he was... uh, coming up around the same time he's almost a a, a cross between Corey Haim and Corey Feldman uh, in a lot of ways but like yeah so 
It's a very harsh climate in Hollywood. And Alex Winter is actually in the only Corey film that we've covered so far on High School Slumber Party. I say we. You weren't there, Mike. Your your co-host on The Monsters That Made Us, Dan Cologne, was there. Shawnee Mead was there as well. And we covered The Lost Boys last Halloween. And that's when I really started to get intrigued by the whole Corey dynamic here. Mm-hmm. The saga, um, the Corey saga. The, the saga, and I guess uh, I straight off my point a little bit, but there's so many Corey movies that I think we're going to have like two jaunts through the Corey IMDb. <laughs> two laps, multiple laps. Um, <laughs> one for each Corey, as it were. Uh, but yeah, that's what we're doing, and like uh, we're finally getting to the Corys. Like, they're a big part of my teen years. I know they're a big part of just teen film history. You know, they were like the... Martin and Lewis of their day. I don't really know how else to like really explain it, but like maybe like growing up, who was it like Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor maybe were the ones where I was like, these guys only make movies together or whatever, you know, like if there was a thing like where stars would just sort of have this kismet or like chemistry and they would make a lot of movies together. What's unusual about these guys is like, well, Corey Feldman was already a big child star. Uh, and here comes Corey Haim, and it almost just felt like you guys are just going to be friends now, and you're just going to do movies together. And they're like, sure, that sounds like a great plan. The fun never lasts, right? Like this. No. It just seemed, fun, in, in a lot of ways, like a like a ploy or like a you know like a gimmick, like a marketing thing that you know seemed to blossom into like an honest friendship and all that kind of stuff. But then just like you know. When the town is done with you, it just it's done with you, right? Like, I mean, ooh, ooh. I mean, and we'll see it here. And again, we're only covering the teen films of the Corys. This is High School Slumber Party, yeah, of course. Yeah. We might dip a little bit lower. We might, you know, cover some yeah. of their y- younger work or work that they're in that happens to be teen adjacent, right? Like, there's yeah. movies that they're in that they like. One of them might be in college, technically, but. Everyone else is in high school. There are mm-hmm. movies that they're in that, like, everyone else is in high school and they're a kid, you know? So we'll, right, we'll right. touch all the fronts here. We're going to touch as much well, – oh, I was going to say we're going to touch as much Corey as possible. No, don't that say that. sounds bad. <laughs> no. but, we, but we're sort of like – there's no there's no clear plan here, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, mm. We're, mm. we're kind of starting near the end, to be honest with you. Like, that's how it, it feels to me. I think Feldman was hanging out with Michael Jackson more at this point. Uh, than Corey well, Mike, I wanted to actually address this with you because, I mean, I'm a veteran of it, but you're even more of a veteran of it. And the it I'm talking about is doing podcasts based on an actor. Okay. And okay. <laughs> how do we always do it, right? Chronologically. Mm-hmm. And when I was thinking of this Corey series and seeing all these movies, I was like, do I really personally want to go there again and do this when, I don't know, I've seen other podcasts like focus on actors or or an actor and kind of going either a random order or just pick things or even use a wheel or that kind of stuff. And it feels more fun that way. Um, because again, I'd rather just dip our toes into the quarries rather than tell the story of the quarries. Cause mm-hmm. no one really knows the true story of the quarries. <laughs> people say that Corey Feldman is a liar. Now, you know, a lot of people have accused him of that, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You don't yeah, know. That's a whole other, you know, they, like what happened to Corey Haim is one thing, but what's going on with Corey Feldman's a whole other thing, you know, like I really feel for this, like he, he kind of has this not a great public image these days as this reclusive sort of paranoid 
like guy, right? I heard he made a movie and he wouldn't let anyone see it. Like I just, it's hard to really get a gauge on what's even going on these days. But like, yeah, there's no reason though to address like the main point of that. Like, there's no reason to cage club it like OG style, right? We don't need to go chronologically. We're not charting sort of their history in films. We're just looking at the movies that they made, the ones they made together, the ones that uh, mostly are high school adjacent. So, you know, I think, and it's your show. Your show does not sort of have this style of doing that, right? Like, no. you're, you're not look, going we, through we, high school movies chronologically. Right? Oh, my like, God. <laughs> We'd be probably, like, on 1980 right now, maybe. You just know? just like starting the 80s movies after, like, <laughs> 200 episodes. <laughs> and to that point, Mike, yes, we've done things like the Gus Van Sant lap and such, and that was chronological. I keep going on laps. Goddamn, too fast, too forever. They're not laps. <laughs> but just series, right? Like, right, right. series. They're laps in our corner of the podcast world i guess but this is more akin to when i had a babysitter summer right or Or cheerleader uh, monday or something or or cheerleader mondays yes i didn't go chronologically in cheer order so you know this is gonna be fun i'm looking forward to it because they're the Corey's, believe it or not mike are a little bit before my time when i became aware of them this is gonna probably sound a little crazy to you because you've already indicated that they were a big part of your childhood i first became aware of them Watching, like, VH1 and, yeah, basically VH1, like, with my mom and when they do I Love the 80s and things like that. I love 87. Yeah, Corey Heyman, Corey Feldman. Corey, Corey Feldman. Corey, which Corey? I was going to say Corey Amos. I think Corey Feldman. See, I'm confusing them. Hey, this is Corey Heyman. This is Corey Feldman. There is a difference between the Coreys. With Heyman, you get a softness, a sensitivity, some insight. Oh, I love this man. It's unbelievable. It's chemistry is powerful. Corey Haim was like the hot boy, you know? He was the hot boy. Corey Haim, yeah, he was uh, the, the more attractive of the two Coreys, shall we say. Feldman had more sex appeal because he was the bad boy. And he, you know, has the Napoleon complex, so he's going to work a little harder in the sack. And also... Just silly throwback stuff. Like, remember the Corys? Ha ha. You know? So when I became aware of them, they were a joke. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, they were. I even sent you a Simpsons joke. Lisa's obsessed with Corey, right? <laughs> <laughs> Can't stop calling the hotline. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to do a little bit of research, I did look up a lot of just interviews with them, um, commercials with them. The Corys hotline is insane. They literally had a hotline where you would call, I guess, them and. You were charged, of course. Guess what? Corey Haim and Corey Feldman are giving out their personal numbers. If you call 1-900-909-3700, you can listen to their private phone messages and get their personal number where you can leave them a message of your own. $2 the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Ask your parents before you call. 1-900-909-3700. If you call me right now, I'll give you my private number. Um, you call that number and you'll hear a recording and I'll give you my personal number if you call that um, and we'll wrap. I don't know. I'm going to yeah, post it on social media. you were charged like a dollar a minute. Yeah. I mean, there were so many hotlines before the internet. Like, you could call the Bionic 6. You could call, like, <laughs> Strawberry Shortcake. Like, any any show or something was like, yeah, just get your parents' permission. I uh, the, the hotline that I grew up with was the WWF hotline. You yeah, know, absolutely. Like, oh, who Who's feuding with who? Who said what about Hulk Hogan? 
you know, call this number and get your parents' permission to find out, you know. Yeah, you want you want to just hear some guy rant for two and a half minutes? <laughs> like, cut a promo? Like, like exclusively on the hotline. You well, know, it's funny because, you know, it's not like we're that far apart, like, in age, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, we kind of, there is a gap, but it's not huge, but this falls in it, and, like... You know, I'm not like not to brag or anything, but like I saw Gremlins in theaters. Like I, mm-hmm. Corey Feldman has been there like my entire life. Like, um, you know, Friday the Thirteenth, and you know, when when License to Drive came out, forget it. Like I was like, this is the epitome of cool, Corey Feldman. That is like I was like, he is the coolest. Like he's the best friend, this and that. And I was like, Corey Haim's cool too. Like he's more cute though. Like you know what I'm saying? Like he seems a little less of a bad boy. And Corey Feldman is like the handsome devil. It's like shit. Like, <laughs> like he's just so cool. Like <laughs> that couldn't have been farther from the truth in real life. And Corey Haim in interviews when he was alive um, would talk about that. Like we were both bad boys, but everyone saw me as like the the, the cutesy guy and Lucas, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> and then and Feldman as the bad boy. But really, he's like we were both bad boys. The way that they would kind of do it is like not exactly like make movies together, but like be in each other's movies is maybe the best way to explain it. Like this, what we're going to talk about tonight primarily is a Corey Feldman movie and Corey Haim's in it. Like he's his like mm-hmm. co-star. And like with License to Drive, it's sort of the opposite. It's like a Corey Haim movie with Corey Feldman in it and stuff like that and everything. But like, yeah, I just, as a kid, I always thought the dynamic was like, oh, that's that's what it means to have like a best friend or on screen. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like they just felt so comfortable and the chemistry seemed to be there. And as a very young, you know, preteen kid, like it, they were very impressionable. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about like their, their IMDb quickly. I'm not going to go into so much the movies they've done apart, but the movies they've done together. So, like I said, we covered Lost Boys already on here. That's where they meet. They don't know each other. And Corey Haim's very much the star of Lost Boys. And Corey Feldman's just like one of the frog twins or frog brothers, brothers. I think they're called. Yeah, so, you know, it's not a big role for him. But they hit it off and they were fast friends after that. Um, I think we'll learn in perhaps a, a, you know, hint, hint, a Lifetime movie we'll watch. But also, (laughs) through my research that... I think Corey Haim's parents, it might have been Corey Feldman's parents too, but Corey Haim's parents like really, really like milked the most out of this kid and they would just monetize him. I'm sure Feldman's as well because he actually started younger, but they became friends and their friendship was marketed is the point I'm trying to yeah, get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that I hear that. Yeah, can how can't you if you're like I had two best friends growing up named Mike. It's like some guys on set and his name's Corey and he's an actor. Like we gotta, <laughs> we gotta hang out. <laughs> so on License to Drive, they're legitimately really good friends. They are best friends there, and I believe they're booked together on that one. When we cover that film, uh, I'll do a little bit more research. But this one, Dream a Little Dream which we're covering today, and I have a lot of questions for you about it. (laughs) That's the third The Corey's film. And actually, it was just a Corey Feldman film. But Corey Haim's girlfriend was cast in the film. And Corey Haim... Who was the girlfriend at the time? Was it Meredith Salinger, uh, Nay Oswald? No, it was uh, that other pretty blonde friend. She has a small role in it. Her name is... Lala Slotman is her name. Yeah, and and you you know where we saw her last. Where? Talk hard. She's the best friend in that movie, too. (laughs) I totally forgot about that. Dude, I forgot, but I was like, I know this 
actress from I'm like it's killing me and <laughs> I had to look it up. <laughs> That's awesome. So they were both cast in terms of Lala Slotman and Corey Feldman. Corey Haim showed up not, I don't know if it was to the set. No, no, sorry. He just showed up to the audition like uh you know to escort his girlfriend and he says to the director, "Hey, you got a part in it for me?" And the director was kind of like, "Yeah, if you want." <laughs> <laughs> Why not? He's a big star there too, you know. Yeah. So yeah, he cast him as well. After that, though, and you see a lot of interviews, they both became weary of being the Corys. They enjoyed each other's friendship, but they didn't want to be like Laurel and Hardy or, yeah. or like you said, yeah. uh, Bob Hope and who's with Bob Hope? <laughs> One of those guys, Martin right? and Lewis. Martin and Lewis. Yeah, all those famous tandems. So they. Like, kind of made a pact not to be in movies anymore. Yeah. What that... happened, Mike? Mm-hmm. What happened? Blown away. What you, well, what you said happened. Hollywood takes what they can get out of you and chews you up and spits you out. So the rest of the Corey journey is really a journey of money, unfortunately. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, there's there's very, there's very a couple Lost Boy sequels with Corey Feldman in there, and I think Haim shows up in one. They did that one movie, Blown Away, where they work uh, at a ski resort, and both uh, like are into, um, I think, Nicole Egger is, is the girl in that movie. Yeah, they're, they do they're, a sequel and they're adults to thi- in these. Yeah, and they're adults in these. They did a sequel to this, apparently, starring Ooh. an all-star Ooh. of this show, no yeah, less. Robin Lively. Robin Lively. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, amazing. Can't wait to get to that next next lap. Yeah, but that's amazing because like it felt like they were in way more stuff together. I thought so too. When right? I thought of this lap, I'm, I'm like, we're going to do like five or six of the Corey's films and it's going to be awesome. And then I'm like, wait a minute. There's only two more we have to do. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what, like, look, you could see where they're coming from, especially I feel like Corey Haim because Corey Feldman had a career. I'm sure for him, like being paired up with this guy for a while wasn't like a bad, a terrible thing. Like I'm sure he was loving that and stuff, but I can understand Corey Haim wanting to break out and never even having a chance to sort of develop himself first. Right. Like he was always marketed pretty much with Corey Feldman for the, I mean, he was in Lucas, he was in stuff, but he was not considered, sort of like the rising star I feel in a way that Corey Feldman was and Feldman just had this such a unique kind of like look to him really mm-hmm. um that like he just I think was taken a little more seriously or whatever I don't know what it was exactly but um yeah it's just wild looking back thinking like you know it's like the Mandela effect or whatever they call it when they turned on the large the large hadron collider it's like did three <laughs> Corey Corey movies get erased in our timeline or something <laughs> Uh, we could Photoshop or whatever program we want to use pictures of these two guys, put them on a beach and say it was a Corey movie. And you'd be like, well, oh, I kind of remember it's that funny, one. You it's know? funny you say that because there was a movie where they put these two guys on a beach. It's one of their later, I think it's a National Lampoon oh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that watching that shit a lot in, in high school. <laughs> it was just on all the time. And like. You just Last leave resort, it on. It's Last resort but, craziness. Okay, maybe the beach was a bad example, but like, you know, <laughs> the a, ca- a camping example. trip, right? <laughs> they the Corys go camping. Yes, the Corys go camping. See, I think, like, again, like, just to, I guess, finish that point, like, I could understand them wanting to work alone. You know what I mean? I could get that. But I wish they sort of embraced being together more, even if it was just, like, on screen or what. They, just think of, like, they could have just gone so much further i feel if they were into doing that thing together you know what i mean if they tried to make that work but again we don't know any of the politics going on behind well we know some of the 
some of what was going on by it's very some of that's public but like we don't know what they were thinking from what i understand cory Feldman had a very broken home childhood and it was sort of like a shia situation i think where like oh wow he had like a rock and roll dad that was like yeah like you know driving him to to auditions and stuff and yes doing drugs at a young age and everything like a very sort of drew barrymore uh lifestyle i guess at the time you know sort of had that image as a young kid and things like that from what i could remember so yeah it's it's too bad they didn't want to do it anymore um and that when they did do it it was sort of like this situation where like we have to do it now because like the only way anyone wants to see us is like if we <laughs> is both of us you know uh, yeah i mean it's a it's a sad sad tale but maybe maybe uh, we'll pep up the moods here because i know you're excited about this one and yes. mike i gotta be honest with you i've never seen dream a little dream I'm so confused with what the hell's going on in this movie. It's just a. I, I expected like a very light kind of thing, almost like a the Heavenly Kid, which I covered with Kate Hudson oh. in terms of just like, <laughs> oh, silly, fun, body switching, and this is a convoluted movie. I was like, wait, what the hell? Yeah, this. We'll, yeah. we'll, get, we'll get into it, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to know first what your history with this specific film is because when we talked to Corey's this is the one you were like most excited for you're right you're right I think partially because you had never seen it or even really heard about it or anything like that but I think for the reasons you just mentioned like when this movie came on I had never you know I'm like nine or ten when I first see this movie on HBO or something and like I never seen anything like this before. Okay, like as a kid, this was like an indie film. Like it's so hard to explain to you from a boy whose like entire life was Saturday morning cartoons and video games and comic books and stuff. Like this just made me think in such a different direction. Like I was already really into science fiction. Of course I love body swap movies, you know, fucking vice versa. I might even recommend that later in the night. But stuff like Dream Theory and Astral Planes and dreamscapes and and that kind of thing like that whole sort of other level like that I could not grok that at the time as a kid like that was something that really sort of drew me into this as like rewatching and trying to figure out like what is going on now like okay I don't think this movie is like 100% successful either like there's a lot of things going on in here that it like just don't work and we'll talk about those little by little However, like, there's truly nothing quite like this. It is so bizarre. It is so kind of schizophrenic. But again, like, it spoke to me. I don't know what else to say. Like, it really spoke to me. Like, I I thought Corey Feldman's character was the coolest motherfucker on the planet. Like, (laughs) just the way, like, he carried himself or whatever and, like, dressed and looked and everything. I thought, like, okay, like, that's what I'll, like one day I'll be able to, to dress like that in high school or whatever. Like, I ended up dressing more like the punks, I guess. Special appearance by my five dads in this movie. <laughs> and and I think one of the main things that I brought it up to you originally is because it has, at the time to me, the scariest depiction of high school. Okay? Like, I think it's like, it's like class of 1984, lean on me about East Side High in Patterson, uh, and then this movie, okay? Like, those were like the three movies that, like, at the time scared the shit out of me uh, regarding uh, high school, teenagers, that whole level of stuff. So, like, just, just as a sort of beginning, that is a lot of what was going on in my head. I mean, again, like I said, I have a lot of questions. I, I was shocked by... <laughs> The cast in this film, I was shocked by 
a lot of stuff. Again, it just was incredible not soundtrack. Expecting. One of the greatest soundtracks of all time. I mean, the soundtrack's amazing. I'll give you that. Uh, the runtime, though, whoa, this is like a two-hour movie. <laughs> was not expecting that. But every week, of course, read the back of DVD, back of VHS. This is clearly a VHS movie. And I found one that is the weirdest, least direct back of VHS I've ever read. So here goes. This was uh, some random VHS from probably the early 90s, late 80s, probably first release here. So let's do this. Let Corey Feldman and Corey Haim take you on a wild romantic comedy adventure. Nope, nope, (laughs) nope. What? With Meredith Salinger, Victoria Jackson... And screen veterans Harry Dean Stanton, Piper Laurie, and Jason Robards. We'll get into oh, all of them. Oh, Alex in a Rocco, no, no respect for <laughs> Mo Green. Come on, no respect. Set to a hot, hit-filled soundtrack featuring R.E.M., Van Morrison, Mickey Thomas of Starship, and the number one smash hit <laughs> "Rock On" by Michael Damien. Dream a little dream is a fun-filled, non-stop adventure for the young at heart. And then it just has a quote. My best friend Bobby is totally cool. We hang out together, go to the same school, and think rock and roll is rad. Bobby's kind of a dreamer. Now he's stuck on some dreamboat named Laney. Is it Laney or Lane? I think it's Laney. She's pretty hot, I guess, but doesn't know he exists. Bobby got just three days to convince Laney that she loves him, even though she already... <laughs> Sorry. Even though she already does, but doesn't know it yet. Wait. The whole thing is just too weird. What but is I'm happening? sticking around to see what happens. Dinger. And it has a picture <laughs> of him. Fuck? Like he said that at some point <laughs> in the movie. First of all, first of all, David Essex, rock on, okay? I don't know about this remake, remix, or whatever. <laughs> but no mention, okay, whatsoever of Coleman. No mention whatsoever of the of Piper Laurie's character, Harry Dean Stanton. Here's the... Here, here's the plot. <laughs> Coleman Edinger is <laughs> is a dream theory specialist trying to do experiments with his wife. One day, Bobby Keller, the next door neighbor who always cuts through his yard, has a collision with the girl that he likes and they somehow inhabit the the old couple inhabits the body of the young couple. Now, the old people have to go to high school and learn what it's like before time runs out. Can they swap back into their bodies before time runs out? You're going to have to wait and see until time runs out. Time's <laughs> running out. It's it's dream a little dream. <laughs> That's better. Again, I still have questions for sure. Don't this worry, is... I, got the, I, got, I got some answers. This is such crap, though, this back of the VHS. Like, well, I've never seen a VHS DVD or anything make up a quote from the character, a character <laughs> in the movie, to try to explain the movie. And especially a character who doesn't even know what's going on, you know? <laughs> he has no, I don't think he's ever told that um, his best friend became an old man. I don't think it, I don't think it's ever gotten through to him. I think I think that uh, Coleman just gives up like day one, and he's just like Dinger <laughs> is is going to accept me for who I am. He doesn't need to know what's happening. So weird. Dude, oh, the, man. That is the that is going to go down in, in like that gets an award for worst back <laughs> of any box ever. I feel like I'm on the worst episodes with the deep, with the boxes and stuff. I always it take such offense to that. It's literally Corey Haim just saying like, yeah, I don't really know what's going on. These two like each other, I guess, and they need to get together. Like, <laughs> By the way, have you seen the old couple next door? They're missing. <laughs> 
Not a lot of production notes on this film, which I was shocked about. Usually some of these films, I don't know, will get like one article written about them in modern day for like a BuzzFeed mm-hmm. or a oh, Vice right. or yeah, something like yeah. that. Could Nothing. not dig one up. One might exist. I don't know. Slumbers, if you're out there and you have one, please, please. But the director is some guy named Mark Rocco. Yeah. Were you familiar with him at all? Because I wasn't. I remember hearing the name. Like, I, I looked up his work and then I was like, oh, okay. I, I've seen, I know of some of these movies, but I've not seen any of these other movies. I sent you a, um, what was the link that I sent you for? Um, Where the Day Takes You, right? Like, that looks like a fucking incredible movie. A 1992 American crime neo oh, yeah. noir thriller. Dude, uh, Dermot Mulroney, Sean Astin, Balthazar Getty, Laura Flynn Boyle, Ricky Lake, James LaGrosse, like Laura Sangiacomo, David Arquette, Christian Slater, Will Smith. Like, like that sounds yeah, insane. Yeah, that was insane. That was insane. Like, whoa. So, like, I saw that and I was like, well, I mean, I already liked Dream a Little Dream. Like, just reading the synopsis of his other stuff sort of solidifies. I think I'm a fan. I think if I see his other stuff, I'd like it. I've heard of Murder in the First. I've seen Murder in the First. I like Murder in the First. That's about, I think, Christian Slater's defending Gary Oldman. I think he's stuck in Alcatraz, like some guy who's been in the hole for, like, his entire life almost or something. Yeah, so I knew some of his movies. He did not make a lot of movies. What I learned about him, though, is that uh, Alex Rocco is his dad. His dad is Mo Green. Oh, okay. I was going to ask that because, like, they have the same last name. And, and know, he's in the movie. I, he's in the movie. You, he plays Corey Feldman's dad. You and I are big Coppola fans, so when we see a Coppola actor, we get excited. And yeah, you're right. I love Mo Green. He's one of my favorite characters in the Godfather franchise. <laughs> and you're right. He's Alex's dad. Yeah, and he's he's doing the Brad Pitt before Brad Pitt. He's eating in every scene. So Ooh, that leads that. me to that leads me to and he's in a bathrobe in ninety percent of the movie. So it leads me to believe that the son was like, Dad, could you please just play the dad in the movie? You don't even have to get out of bed. You can just eat your breakfast on set. Just please be in my movie. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Did you recognize the mom, by the way? That's Victoria Jackson. Yes. Yeah, under a lot of like um, housewife attire. And, She's got uh, like the curlers, the huge glasses, like the terrible aprons and everything for some of our younger listeners uh, let let them know who victoria jackson is so before she let her strong political views be known (laughs) victoria jackson was one of the i mean she was one of the most amazing not ready for prime time women on saturday night live during the 90s like she carried the men on some of those shows so well like she was so great. I saw. I mean, I loved her on Saturday Night Live. I thought she was amazing. I did not know she was in this movie. Like that's one fact that piqued my interest this time around. And it's just sort of unfortunate how she kind of like turned against, I guess, every everything. I don't know. It's weird what you know. Like she sort of came on after nine eleven. Like you know, so many comedians did and said like we're not being funny anymore. I mean, like Dennis Miller sort of like add him to the pile where he's like remember what I used to joke about now I mean it like <laughs> you know <laughs> it's, it was just weird I don't know what happened I mean I'm sure there's a million things going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to right I don't blame her for anything or anything but like crazy that she's in this movie <laughs> I guess this because this is before all that right this is like 
before SNL, I think. I mean, yeah, I think so. And it's just weird that she's paired with Mo Green. I was like, what? Yeah, they're like 35 years apart in age. Not that you can't, I mean, you know, not that you can't marry someone like 30, 40 years older than you or whatever, but it's just weird. (laughs) In terms of the principles, though, I mean, do we need to reintroduce Corey Feldman and Corey Haim? Probably not. So Corey Feldman, as you said, he's our star here. Both Corys at this point are heavily into drugs. They're not admitting it publicly. That's not their public persona. So Corey Feldman's public persona at the time of this movie, I think, on the press tour was like, I'm basically the white Michael Jackson, but I don't sing. (laughs) I just remember him cloning himself as Michael Jackson. And it's like, what was going... I like, how did that even... A, like, why... Would you do that? Be, I mean, maybe it's the drugs. Like, it's an identity crisis is what it felt like to me. You know what I'm saying? It's like I was so into him being who he was, and now suddenly he's trying to be someone else. I was like, well, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Corey Haim, on the other hand, was, like, very much an inspiration for me to, like, dye my hair, like, you know, wear patches on my jacket or, like, wear an army jacket. I wanted a cane, even though my leg wasn't broken at the time. It's weird how certain things hit you. That you're, and when you're not aware of, like, what's behind them. Yeah, I just want to touch on that weird Michael Jackson thing. Um, Like, they were friends, Corey Feldman and Michael Jackson. From what I read is, like, Michael Jackson kind of took a liking to him because Corey Feldman became obsessed with Michael Jackson. And you're right, mm. he would just walk around and wear those, like, Jackson-esque clothes, do the dance moves. His hair, his hair. His hair. It's And, so, it's and like, not for bizarre. nothing, and, like, you know, no... No offense to Michael Jackson, rest in peace. I loved his work. You know, he was, for all intent and purpose, sort of getting whiter around this stage. Like, he was kind of, they were kind of looking alike. Like, (laughs) Michael Jackson would eventually look a lot like Corey Feldman by the time he passed away, which is just, I don't know if there was something there where it's like, that's the look I was going for or something, but... (laughs) Look, Corey Feldman has accused, and I'm not saying he's wrong, I don't know, but he's accused everyone and their cousin of being a rapist in Hollywood, and again, he might be right, I mean, I'm we, not well, sure. I mean, we do know like about Michael Jackson's history as well, and if he but, was hanging out with that guy a But lot, uh, he has said that Michael Jackson never did anything to him. Yeah, um, as did Macaulay Culkin, he said, he came out and defended Michael, too. He's like, not when I was there, at least, I don't know. These days, he's like, I'm not going to defend him anymore because I've heard too many things, and it sounds like it, but he's never accused Michael Jackson of anything in that way. He's like, maybe he was grooming me and I didn't know, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's always possible. We're not sure. Again, there's so I mean, when many... do you... when? I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, you don't know you're being groomed, you yes. know? And then you look back on your life, and it's like, holy fuck, like, I, he literally turned me into himself like in 1989 <laughs> like, and again we're not gonna make this like a go- let's gossip about the court trying not to podcast. i mean but <laughs> trying not to I these have movies to are still up, a lot of fun i have to bring up the michael jackson thing is because he insisted that they work the michael jackson elements into these movies that's why he's dancing a lot that's why he's dressing like yeah. michael jackson in certain scenes so it's like if you don't know the context you're like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's legit a dance off like in this movie where he he's doing he, he is just every move is the Michael Jackson with the hat and the and the sort of the the uh, the heel thing and like you know the whipping of his legs or I don't know what to call it but like yeah he's got all the moves I'll give him this much he's got the moves down like I don't know if he could do much more than what we're seeing but whatever he's doing like 
he can fucking dance. Like, <laughs> he learned well. And on the other side of the Corey coin, you alluded to this, how uh, Corey Haim, who plays Dinger, <laughs> what a name, Dinger has a, a cane the entire time and a cast. They say that his mother in the movie, like, hit him with a car. And uh, for those of you slumbers out there wondering, like, why the hell would they write this in? Also a personal life thing. Corey Haim bought a moped. He wanted his mom in real life to ride it. She did, and she crashed into him and broke his leg two days before the shooting oh, of the film. shit. Oh, my God. They that's had to wild. write it into the film. That, that's how, like, crazy it was. <laughs> you know what's funny about that, though, is um, when I was younger, my brother had a friend who was sort of accident-prone, and his mom ran over his foot and broke it. So, like, <laughs> when I heard that story, I was like, oh, that makes sense to me. Like, that's, <laughs> that's enough. I don't need anything else. Like, kids have broken body parts in high school. And then... <sighs> As the movie would go on to shoot, his leg would heal, but for continuity, they had to take his real cast off and make him a fake cast, so he had to be in a cast longer than he should have been in one, just for the film, which is, oh my god. For continuity, because it takes place over like a week, but it probably filmed over like a month and a half or something, or or maybe even longer. And I mentioned this, but both these guys, after this film, would really kind of spin out of control to different degrees. I know they're in other Corey movies, but you said it. The reason they're in these movies, they're like the equivalent of sci-fi channel Sharknado movies at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight to VHS. Exactly. And at this point, Hollywood was done with them. They were sick of their drug habits, which I get it on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like you created these monsters, guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I think of them, I always – I can't help but think of Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) You know, like that fucking motherfucker is the luckiest actor on the goddamn planet. Is he not the dream for a child The world was – dude, the world was done with him. You don't understand like how over the planet was of hearing about him, waking up in his neighbor's daughter's bed, out of control, out of his mind, going to prison, all this stuff like – People were fed up, you know. I understand the climate back then was different and all that kind of thing, but like, that's exactly like with the Corys, you know, you drugs, alcohol, all this shit, like, get your shit together. But like, you gave me the, you know, it's like, but you did the, and then it's like, yeah, but now you got to get your shit together on your own or whatever. Robert Downey Jr. is like the ultimate, you know, he's like the new American success story, right? (laughs) He was successful, he lost everything, and then he got it back again. And again, you're right, another child star. And his father was a director and very, you know, and everything. So he's from an entertainment life his entire life. He's been around the business. So, and even he wasn't able to really successfully navigate it until like much later in his life. But like, I always think about that all the time as like, why did he, why were we, he got clean? You know what I'm saying? Like, he did it. He, he put do in you, the work. Do you think that, you know, your nephews and nieces will like, believe that even like probably oh no they'll they'll never understand they'll never understand like and it's weird to say this but like the the kind of like betrayal you almost like feel sometimes when you're like you know there's a guy or a woman or someone an athlete or whatever they have everything and then like oh they kill someone or they fucked up their life or whatever it's like you can't understand like about their personal history you know what i'm saying you just have you're not 
involved in that that side of their life so you don't know what they're thinking so you feel like this weird betrayal because it's like great now there's no more movies by this guy or no more music by that person or this or that or whatever or it's tainted you know it just pisses me off because even i forget at the time i'm like i want more movies with them where are they what's going on i'm never thinking about the fact that they're suffering from drug addictions you know what i'm saying like that's not even crossing my mind as a child but as i'm more of like an adult after high school, I could follow the other actors and the other problems that are coming up at that time. Then I, you know, and sort of more, underst- I understand what's happening a little better or whatever, but it's frustrating. I mean, it, it's not, it's not that crazy of a leap to say, look, it is from an acting standpoint, but when Robert Downey Jr. was cast as Iron Man, a majority of people were like, what? How is he going to do this? Like, why are you yeah. putting your franchise in this guy's hands? <laughs> It's almost like if they cast Corey Feldman in a movie at that time or or Corey Haim, theoretically, in a movie around that time. You know what it would almost feel like? And this might seem a little overly harsh, but it would be like casting Kevin Spacey in a movie tomorrow or something like that. Like, sure, he didn't do anything that bad as bad as Kevin Spacey, but his reputation, you do not understand, like, what, how bad his reputation really was at that point. He was in prison. He was in fucking... Iron Man was in prison. Especially (laughs) when, like, you had, like, Tom Cruise as the big rumored guy, and then it's like, no, 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 we cast Robert Downey Jr. It's unfathomable for, I think, younger people to understand what a risk a lot of people thought that was at the time. I mean, he proved a lot of people wrong, and he proved a lot of people right. You know, he's a great success story. And again, I know if someone out there being like, how can you compare the acting chops of Robert Downey Jr. to Corey Feldman or Corey Haim? I get that. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. did that uh, Chaplin movie, right, before yeah. before he went to jail and all those things. So he had these acting chops. I don't know yeah. where Corey Feldman and Corey Haim would have gone if they were able to you know, be given that chance. I'm not sure about their acting chops. All I know are these kind of films. So I don't want to make that leap. But it is interesting. Like, he was just as toxic as them for a while. That's the perfect word for it. Yeah, he was. And, you know, luckily with Iron Man, that was a role that mirrored his life, right? So I think maybe on some level, the public was able to sort of relate a little more to who he was and now we just think of him as Tony Stark even like you know like I can't even picture him in another movie (laughs) it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy there are other people in this film who aren't Corey so we should get to them (laughs) (laughs) Meredith Salinger who we mentioned she plays Lainey she's our lead female here I was not terribly familiar with her but I recognized her face and it was from a very random moment Uh, the aforementioned Kate Hudson, who frequent guest of this podcast, she's, you know, does the Twilight thing with me. And of course, we've done so many other movies. We were talking about John Cusack one day, as I often do on this podcast. And I kind of asked <laughs> who? her when John... Still, still blocked? It's been still a while blocked. since I asked. Okay, We are still right. blocked by John Cusack on Twitter. Uh, I asked her where when John Cusack first got on her radar. And she's like, oh, of course, in the journey of Natty Gann. And I'm like, what the hell is the journey of Natty Gang? Are you familiar with this, Mike? I am not. I, it, I have no is, idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this is like an old Disney, you know, Kate style. What? Mm-hmm. You've never seen the journey of Natty Gang? And it's you like, suck. An, <laughs> like, how could you? <laughs> it's an old kind of Disney film. I think it might have been made for the Disney Channel. And if it wasn't, it was like okay. not one of those 
bigger Disney films. But look it up quickly. And it's, she it, was the star of that. And John Cusack played like a teenage hobo. She was like a young teenager. And she had to basically like hitchhike to Seattle uh, from like the East Coast. Kind of in like, I don't want to say Klondike times, but like around those times, you know. I, that's what I think. Okay. Or it might have been so. The so, so it's not know. like a race to Witch Mountain thing, which I just saw she's in the remake of, which is weird. But oh, like, interesting. Okay. it's more of like um like a road trip thing, like kids on the road. Yeah, yeah, kids on a train. <laughs> on a, what's it called again? Let me see. The Journey of Natty Gan, nineteen thirty-five. No, sorry, that's not when it came out. That's when it takes place. So, yeah, a little bit after the Klondike era, like the Depression. Oh my gosh, it's got Ray Wise in it too. Excellent. I wonder. If uh, he was possessed by Bob yet. <laughs> <laughs> I never forgot her face from just looking at the poster ones, because she has a very distinct face. She yes. has like, these very distinct eyes. So I'm like, where have I seen this person from? And, and that's what it was from. So a little uh, shared John oh. Cusack history here. Had and you then, recognized what, their co stars with a wolf in that movie, it seems? That looks pretty good. Might have to check that out. Oh, it's on the Disney Plus. Oh, is it? I didn't know that. I'm going to check that out too. <laughs> so she's our lead here. Were you familiar with her and anything else? No, so I only know her from this movie and from recently marrying Patton Oswalt. Like, that's that's really, like, that's when I was reminded that she was like, oh, yeah, I remember her from Dream a Little Dream and and stuff. I've Now I'm looking, like, uh, online and, like, I've seen stuff, but I don't remember her being in these things, like, you know, Lake Placid and, and such, Village of the Damned, 1995 and, and all this, but... Um, all right, yeah. So that's that's really all I really knew her from. It's cool that she goes way back to, like, Disney back in the day. Yeah, and you mentioned the Patton Oswalt connection. That's, like, when I I was like, oh, that's that person? Like, I made that kind of connection while doing the research. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's get into our, uh, you know, a little bit older members of the cast, which yeah, I had no should idea. Yeah, we say the, the senior staff? The senior staff, yeah. Jason Robards, who I just watched for three hours on PS, I still oh, you just love watched Hoffman. Him- you just watched him dying for three hours <laughs> in Magnolia. <laughs> and, and look, I like Magnolia. We were actually having a little conversation off air, you, me, Joey, and Kyle, about P.T. Anderson films and, you know, bringing up Magnolia. And again, I like Magnolia, but even P.T. Anderson says it's so long. And when you're – you've done some of these rewatches, Mike, for Cage. Oh, it's yeah, tough yeah. to sit for a movie and be talking the entire time. So, <laughs> so – Joey and I have done 50 and sort of called it a break for a while because by, like, the 30th one, we just don't even talk about the movie. We're like, so what's going on, man? Like, what's, <laughs> like, what's what did you see online? Any news happening in the day? <laughs> that one was tough because it was just, again, three three-hour movie. Just you have to say something the entire time. It's an intense movie. But, yeah, Jason Robards, that, I recognized him from – Magnolia, of course. Yeah. But for me, I know he's a legendary actor. I know he's been nominated for Academy Awards. Another connection with you and Joey, Mike. Yeah. The first movie I really recognized him was Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia plays uh, Fires Tom Hanks, I believe. Also in Parenthood with Keanu in there. He's Steve oh. Martin's father. Uh, big movie in the 80s, The Day After. Mm. Uh, you aware of that one about the, I'm familiar with it I've never seen it. yeah it's got the Gut- Gutenbergs in there too uh, it's about like nuclear holocaust all the president's men right he's in there he, oh of he, course and um, again how could I forget that yeah, I and love Hanks, that movie. Hanks plays that role that character in the the paper or whatever that one was um, oh interesting yes yeah, so it's the same the post news team the, the was it the no. post no, no that's a different the one, one right the one so, with oh, Streep 
The one they're also different, Street. yeah. Oh, you know what I think I remember him the most from, which is hilarious. There is a Bill Murray movie called Quick Change with Gina Davis, um, where he like dressed up as a clown and robbed a bank and stuff. And Jason Robards was like the, it was his last case. And he's like, I'm going to catch this asshole if it's the last case I ever have. <laughs> and that's a really fun one. I think that's even directed by Bill Murray. Uh, and, and I know like he was supposed to be in, I think, Fitzcarraldo originally or something, or maybe Man from La Mancha. He remember when Terry Gilliam was trying to do his uh, Man from La Mancha movie. He finally made it eventually, but like that was his um, the um, the guy with Pancho Villa. What the hell is that dude? Yeah, uh, Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Yeah. So he was supposed to be his Don Quixote originally. Interesting. That's like uh, that and famous. The, yeah. Yeah, and the, and there's a a famous documentary about how that film just fell apart on set and everything, and there's actual footage of him. Um, that they got to shoot before they had to shut it down and stuff. So, like, I'm I'm very aware of this guy, uh, his career and stuff. Legend, legend, absolutely. And Magnolia is his last film, so very interesting. Uh, I mean, I was shocked to see him here. Wait, not just shocked to see him here. He's, like... He's the real lead. T- he's the lead. <laughs> like, it's... Here's we just have to pause a second and talk about body swap movies a little sidebar like not to get too deep or whatever but there's a lot of different types right parents are swapping friends are swapping we'll cover a bunch here yeah genders are swapping for some reason in the 80s there was the one with Jason Robards and then there was one with fucking George Burns called 18 again and there was something about like really old people body swapping and I think it's part of like the very bottom barrel of the genre or whatever but that sort of seems to be what's going on here Um, and another thing typical of the body swap movie it's usually just you know two people swapping bodies or whatever in this case it's more like a mind swap i guess and and also there's like two sets of people in this movie which totally breaks like any kind of body swapping rule because never i don't think ever again or before uh have four people body swapped in a movie before <laughs> i don't know though I but mike some history, some, some have to look that up mike the the filmmakers and the actors are really insistent that this is not a body swap film that is just a playing with dreams and the fact that the old people, sorry to call them that, but the older people disappear, that that means it's not a body swap film. It's more like a body combined. I, I'm making that part. Up, no, that's no, I hear you though. I hear you. I buy that. I buy that. I just wish that, and we'll get into it. I just wish it was a little more sort of uh, telegraphed or, or explored before it happens to sort of make it feel that way. But you're right. You're right. Generally, uh, when you do a body swap, uh, the other body sticks around. I remember in 18 again, the way they got George Burns out of the whole movie was um, he, he got like laid up. There was a car crash. Him and his 18-year-old uh, grandson get into a car crash, and, it, and that's what causes the body swap. And uh, George Burns' character is like laid up in a hospital the entire movie because George Burns can't run around and do shit. He's 81. <laughs> Right. And and so you got the younger actor running around acting like George Burns, but he's, you know, and he's like, where's my antacids and shit? (laughs) All that kind of crap. But we don't get that here. We don't get like, you know, I I need my Ben Gay or anything. You, You talk history of body swap films and we can go on forever about that. Something that I think people don't talk about enough that was so damn popular forever, but especially in this era is Hey, let's name a movie after a song. 
Yes. You know what? It's almost like reverse engineer the movie from the song, you know, yeah. and make sure it's in there a lot or something. <laughs> You're right. Can you, can you name some other examples? Well, Peggy Sue got married. It's easy a cage, one, right? There's a cage one. There's tons, right? Like, uh, let's see. Let me do a quick Google search. I mean, some of these are more modern. Uh, Sweet Home Alabama. But, oh, Jumpin' Jack Flash, 1986. Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg. Stand Love By it. Me. How could we not name that? Yeah, you know? yeah. My Girl, 91. Days and Confused, 93, is technically named after a song as well. Boys in the Hood, yeah. Boys in the Hood, of course. Blue Velvet, I mean. This is something that people like. Pretty Woman, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, isn't yeah. It's so funny that they used to do that. Like, what do hey, you mean used to do that? Like, still they're do, still yeah. they're still doing it, and I think they've been doing it since since the be since silent films, probably. But you know, I'm like, not, that's the irony. <laughs> I'm not counting though, like across the universe that Beatles movie because like that was like yeah, oh it's no. gonna be about the Beatles or like uh, I don't know like if it's like a musical biopic like that doesn't count to me. I'm talking about like just hey here's a random song and often. This one, thankfully, features at least a version of the song Dream a Little Dream. Yeah. There are so many that don't have. <laughs> the, yeah, they the, never get the, the, song the, the it, licensing yeah. rights. <laughs> like, well, shit, we can't change the title now. Like, but we there's can't get one, the song. Fuck. There's one that's on, like, the tip of my mind that does that. And that they well, can that's never... Dazed oh. and Confused. Dazed and Confused Dazed and never confused. got the rights. But, uh, duh, I'm an idiot. You know why I was thinking about this one? Boogie Nights is named after that song, like, Boogie mm. Nights, Boogie Nights, you know that song? And they, and that group never gave them the right to the song, to, to the song because it was a porn movie. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, no, you're right, that's right, that's crazy. It's so and that didn't crazy. even occur to me watching Boogie Nights, where I was like, why aren't they playing the song? Like, it just never, whereas I'm watching Dazed and Confused, and it's a little more like, this song should be on the radio, like, all the time. <laughs> How about this one, Mike? Can't buy me love. Oh, yeah. Ronald Donald. Of course. Crazy. Love that. Crazy. Not, not the title of a movie, but uh, remember this one? When does a dream become <laughs> a nightmare? Well, no, that was made for the I know. Movie. <laughs> but I mentioned yet. 1984 earlier. It stuck in my head. <laughs> love that tune. <laughs> But yeah, so it's just again, so a weird trend. You're right; it's still going on. And so, uh, so we got three. We're working with three trends that don't really work well together. We have movie named after song, body swap kind of, but also like this astral plane scanners, mind bending kind of pseudo scientific, you know, dreamscape type thing. Like, there's more of these movies out there at this time. Like, this is a thing. You know, this is like new age bullshit come to fruition you know what i mean like this is for real like hippy dippy crazy pseudoscience out of control cool shit i like it i mean i'm don't get me wrong I'm, i sound like i'm making fun of it but i'm just trying to i'm just trying to explain it the way i think about it and i know you like this stuff mike i know it's one of your uh you know i guess interests. i mean i don't know about like scientifically but in terms of in film but i again i'm kind of disappointed in the dream stuff because it's so grounded you know uh, on mm-hmm. we we covered nightmare on elm street on this podcast but yes e- even cooler in my mind as i think back on it we covered uh nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors on your podcast and what they're able to do there i was so impressed with and as time goes on since that episode i'm even more impressed with that film i kind of wish that these dream sequences here got a little more surreal not like 
Corey Feldman's voice changing. You know, like that was like, like, <laughs> yeah. They're like, like put a little bad. bit of like a, a reverb on Corey's voice and toilet paper the yard like it's Cabbage Night, um, and that's that's sort of the astral plane in this movie. You know? like, tr- try a little harder. Try a little yeah. harder. So. Yeah, I, okay. make it last a little longer. Try a little harder. <laughs> I know you're a fan of this film, Mike. And um... I, hey, man, that's one of the issues. I have the same issue. You know what I mean? Like, I I wish that they, it it looks it looks very last minute. It looks like they even shot all that stuff in the same day, right? One after the other, just bang. Let's let's bang out the dream sequence, and that's unfortunate because they start doing things where like the first time reality bleeds into it with the guy asking him to get off the lawn and stuff. I was like, oh, you could like definitely work this in a lot more where he's like in the school alone or like wandering the town and no one's around and like they you're right i feel like they did drop the ball there but um there's also a lot of information that they're trying to convey <laughs> during a little those sequences. Too, a little too much a little too yeah much. those are those are all like exposition scenes which is also a bad idea you don't want your exposition to scenes to be like the the trippiest scenes in the movie really i think this movie could have started like 20 minutes in if that makes sense. Really? Like, I don't, I agree it's long, but I feel like they need to cut more of like the middle and the end. I, I feel like I needed to know, I know Coleman well. I don't know Bobby enough is the way I feel. I feel like he's all surface. Like he's all just like his, he's like shallow, right? Like he is the way he looks. That's the way he is. And then for Coleman, it's like, well, he he's talking about all this weird shit and dreams and, and trying to control them and, and, go in and live forever and stuff. And it's like, well, I understand this guy a lot better than I ever do Bobby, which I guess is okay because Bobby, for all intents and purposes, his personality is going to disappear for the whole movie and it's going to be <laughs> Coleman's mind and his body. So but I just that's... wish I had a little more Bobby, I guess. But that's not how they're marketing this film. That's not what I thought I was going into. Look at the poster. It's two teenage boys with a teenage yeah, girl. I think I'm watching a teen film, not like freaking you know, <laughs> Cocoon or something. That's exactly it, dude. You're right. They are gleaming off Cocoon. Gleaming the cube Cocoon style. <laughs> Would you have watched this if the poster was the closing credits if it was like Corey Feldman and Jason Robards back to back wearing like velour suits and stuff like uh, me, what movie yes, is that I would have because I host High School Slumber Party but would have people have no so you're right <laughs> before though we do a deep dive in the scenes I do not want to forget talking about the music and the soundtrack which you mentioned is amazing I'm a little annoyed at t- like there are way too many montages in this film there's way too much of that like oh we have a cool soundtrack let's raise the volume here for a second and then lower the volume just so you know that the song's in it. That's I'm not the a... whole movie. The whole movie's a <laughs> montage, bro. The editing in this is is infuriating sometimes. <laughs> no, yes, it is. And that it was bothering me. It was bothering me. The editing. Okay. But look, I every time a song played, I'm like, this is awesome. I love what they put together here. But you can you can be subtle about it, and I could still enjoy it. Not like, oh, we have a good one here. Montage. <laughs> <laughs> No, I hear you. I think this movie did a good job of uh, finding the right song to match the mood to make the image work best. You know, like everything just feels like it fits in that way, even if it even if there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of complete scenes in this movie. Like that's part of it. Like it's almost it's got I don't want to say like, okay, so like there is a style of film and editing, which is just like 
dream theory editing, you know, it's just like whatever you want to do, you can do. And at the end, you can say, oh, it was all a dream, right? You know, stuff like that, like Vanilla Sky, maybe. Um, And I feel like this movie does it, but with its reality, like it's got such a fractured way of editing uh, back and forth between characters picking up each other's sentences, even, you know, showing sort of the symmetry between things going on that it's just not like anything else, you know, or at least at the time even. And I can understand being being jarring. I find it more confusing at times where, like, they'll just use a transition of Meredith Salinger dancing to, like, four bars of rock on and then just cut back to the old people. I'm like, what? what? But ultimately, uh, yeah. like, I, I liked... I liked everything going on. It felt if it, it does feel very MTV. It does. It does. I just again, it's a little too. Uh, it took me out of it at moments, and not in a cool surrealist way. I think if you're talking about dreams, you have an opportunity to do stuff that's creative and interesting when it, when it comes to editing and cutting. And I don't know if that's what they were doing here. You're right. Like it would feel like mid scene, they were just cutting for no. Like oh, that we've seen enough here. Boom. Not next montage. (laughs) In terms of the soundtrack, Mickey Thomas does the cover here of Dream a Little Dream. He is the lead singer of the biggest sellout band in the history of sellout bands, Starship. Sorry, Starship, but everyone agrees, right? Oh, Jefferson Airplane. (laughs) Jefferson Starship. So there's Starship. (laughs) We built this city. Yep. We built this city on rock and And what's the other one they had in the 80s? Oh. And we could build this dream together. together. (laughs) Then it's all forever. Nothing. I love how high you went on that. Nothing's gonna stop us (laughs) Well, that's what it sounds like in my head. So, (laughs) Mickey Thomas, he has like a version of Dream a Little Dream, which is a song that so many people have done. Mamas and the Papas. Uh, Woo. The original is from 1931, actually. Is that the Doris Day? The Dor- Doris Day early? has a famous version. No, like the original is just like a standard, like a jazz standard. Oh, cool. Okay. So this is a this is a song with a lot of history. Uh, so he does, like I said, a solo version, but there's also a duet version that plays in the credits with Mel Tome. What? Mickey, he was Mickey still Tom- alive? <laughs> I guess. Mickey Thomas of Starship with Mel Tomei. Would, wow. I would never have guessed that they did a duet together. And it unfortunately sounds like a karaoke version of Dream <laughs> of Laundry. Like, it's got the MIDI horns, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I was like, no, no. It's like early e-music. What is happening? Other songs featured on here, Rock On by Michael Damien. Hey, kid, rock and roll. One of the coolest fucking songs ever. I love the way they use it in this. They just, like, lace the bass line, like, throughout here and there. It's just like, do-do-do-do-do. It's really the theme of the film more than Dream a Little Dream, honestly. Yeah, really? Why didn't they just call this Rock On? Like, that makes a little more sense. Like, I get Dream is in the story, but, like, this movie rocks, so they should have called it Rock On. They try to work some other, like, Dream songs in here, like one of them being Otis Redding, I Got Dreams to Remember. I Got Dreams. Yeah. There's, like, a Wilson Pickett song. There's, like, a Frank Sinatra song. Oh, there's a Future So Bright. Like a Frank Sinatra song. Young at Heart. I mean, that is, like, the for the old people, right? Like, uh, (laughs) that's the whole theme of the movie is to be young at heart, right? Well, market it like that. They didn't market this as, like, a a movie for (laughs) 
for like older for people. adults. Yeah. <laughs> so future so bright, I gotta wear shades. That's a big scene. There we the go. Uh, yeah. One hit wonder. Great song. Tim Buck three. <laughs> great name great name i mean and that's also uh, the opening song in summer school right yeah uh, yeah great movie great song but i really was like oh my god when they played the rem song right it's the end of the world as we know it i was like what for some reason if you told me when that song came out i would have said 1993 i did oh, not I know i, I know right that's an 80s song rem yeah. i want to give you like you know bravo 1987, that song comes out. I, yep. sh- I want to shake Michael Stipe's hand. I mean, I, I saw him did in a restaurant once in college. FYI. Oh, did you shake his hand? No. Oh, that table, oh. this is a little side note. This is a college story, not a high school story. There was this one, it's called the Stanton Social. I wonder if it's still there. It was this one hip restaurant in the city that did not card ever, which was awesome. <laughs> so I used yes. to, and there was this one garage in the Lower East Side that was a relic from when the Lower East Side was bad that used to only charge 50 cents an hour. or And then it went up to $1.50 an hour to park there. For a college kid to find parking easy in Manhattan that was under $10 for the entire night, even less, was sensational. And this garage <laughs> was near this restaurant, so I used to bring all my dates there. It was awesome. Ooh, it was nice. awesome. Nice. You're a bit of a Joel at the time. Bring <laughs> kind of. And so, so I brought this girl there. She's like, oh, my God, look who's at that table. The table had Michael Stipe, Adrian Grenier, like in his prime entourage Oh, days. yeah. Carla Gugila, that's her name? You know who I'm talking about? The Also from Entourage? Yeah, she was in Entourage. Carla Gugina. Uh, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. Who? Uh, uh, there was two other. Oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, my God. Hit record. It's Joe Record. And still so, do hit, is he still do that hit record? Do you know? Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. And someone write, else write in there. and let us know. <laughs> I need to. I need to reach out to that the person I was with uh, that day and be like, who else is at that table? Because it was like, oh my god, like all these stars are at this Dude, table. You should have walked up there and been like, you know what you should do in the next episode of Entourage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah. So if I could go back in time and I went at the Stanton Social. In the year probably 2006, yeah, probably 2006, I'd be like, bravo for being so ahead of your time in 1987, <laughs> for making that album and making that song. Because that does that sound like an 80s song to you? Well, that's the thing I think about uh, that. I mean, R.E.M. was a pretty big college band at the time, but that mm. song launched them globally you know like that song just hit the like that just took over the world i remember that hearing that song as a kid and being like afraid i was like this song is scary like it's fast it's talking about the end of the world like what is going on with this song uh and but it doesn't sound scary you know like it's it's almost like acoustic or something uh that's when i first got into rem i guess it's like i never i'm not a huge rem i couldn't sit here and tell you like the name of all their albums and songs or anything but yeah like i feel like that definitely was when they arrived you know absolutely i mean and then I, soon after was me in the corner and and that kind of stuff i think that came after yeah right? but that feels like it's of the era right like this song compared to every other song in the soundtrack no, this, this song feels like a futuristic almost it's right? from it's... space right like <laughs> yes. it's like a different era it's insane so just one. It is. I don't think up. there was another song this fast because even we didn't start the fire. Like 
He wasn't going fibbies like Adam Bomb, Doris Day, what else do I have to say? It's fast, but it's only fast because he's not getting into anything. And I, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a Billy Joel fan, but that song is super like 80s, early 90s with like the effects in the background, like, you know, the, oh, like the gongs and the gong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like the REM of 1987 could come out today or like, I don't know. It, I'm yeah. just impressed. I'm just impressed. Yeah. Well, people have been chasing REM their entire careers, you know, like trying to be them, wanting like modeling themselves. After. I think of a lot. I feel like. I mean, I think of like Michael Stipe, then I start thinking of like Moby, then I start thinking of like Beck and, and that kind of like those guys mm. were probably influenced in a lot of ways. I mean, not For just because sure. they kind of look alike or anything, <laughs> but like I'm just saying like it's it goes beyond just like prog rock or whatever. Like, you know, it's like into other like they, they tapped a vein for sure. So let's talk about some of your favorite scenes and moments, questions you had in the film. Questions I, want... I had. You're the one with the questions. Well, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin, to be honest with you. I mean. The first scene, if we want to talk about like our Corey little lap here, yeah, it's just Corey's riffing on each other, talking about a girl. Uh, so I thought that was fun. I was like, oh, this is what this movie's going to be about? Cool. Yeah, this is cool. This reminded me, I mean, I never, I don't think maybe once I slept over a friend's house on a school night, but like, yeah, I used to always like sleep over and hang out at, at friends' houses and I love their dynamic early on in this movie and stuff. They're sort of like riffing on each other a little bit. You could tell that like, they're popular, but they're not that popular because they keep mentioning this guy Joel, and you got to stay away from his girlfriend and all that kind of thing. Oh my God! So, so we didn't talk about Joel. This is my first question, I guess, for you. Joel is both their very good friend, which they say a couple times in the movie, and best friends. Yeah, they're like we're best friends with him, and he's an asshole to them, and he's like one of the biggest dicks in movie history, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, <laughs> yes. and he's popular, and they're not. So I did have questions about this, and it's not so much criticism questions. I was going to ask, like, did you ever see this dynamic growing up, But maybe between oh. you and your friends or other people like that? Oh, totally, totally. Like, I have seen this, of course. Like, this this comes from, I feel like, several directions. Like, first, you know, the idea of, like, the cliques and stuff, and people just sort of group off and things. But Joel clear, clearly has is a control freak, right? So... He's only going to hang out with people who he can control, right? And, like, who will listen to him and do what he says. And so he's not going to be hanging out with, like, maybe kids as popular as he is, like the other jocks and preps. Like, he's not hanging out with anyone else that dresses like him all clean cut. He's dressing out with these, like, new wave freaks, you know? (laughs) Like, ripping their jeans fresh in the morning and stuff. Like, I just bought this shirt. Let's cut off the arms and everything. (laughs) So I think coming from Joel's side, like, and with Lainey, too, like, he is very controlling and protective, if you want to Like, he's like uh, Mark Wahlberg in fear in a lot of ways, I feel. feel. Like, he's got that kind of, like, dark edge to him. But, like, I mean, I mean, that's where it comes from. I think there's a lot of fear in his character on that side too, and that's why people like that. I've seen people do that, like intentionally, sort of get friends that they know will listen to them or do what they say. And I saw that dynamic down at the right away a couple of times for sure. Now I don't know. I mean, being you know teenagers, if if Dinger and Bobby are are fully, I mean, it feels like they're aware by the end of the movie, like that's what's been going on. But I don't, I think that they're also very desperate to be accepted by anyone aside from each other, especially once you find out one of their parents hit them with a car and the other, like don't even talk to him when they're in the room that like, you know, it's a very toxic relationship. Like that's high school friends sometimes, you know, and he, and even not to jump too far ahead at the end though, when, when Joel is like holding kids up at gunpoint, 
Bobby is still like, we're all friends here. We just hate each other. Like, you know, we could get past this, though. It's like, I've seen those dynamics, like, not involving, like, weapons or anything, but definitely, like, friends hating each other for years and then becoming friends again or or what or whatever. Like, I, I think that this is more realistic than, than we realize. Well, I've seen this in a couple of movies, and actually, not that I like the character, but I like when they do it, because there's a lot of times you grow up with someone and your friends and then once you hit puberty you're still friends but you're in different cliques now because you just grew in different directions but you still have those like early childhood memories to go back on so you're still officially friends you know that's a realistic thing that happens so it wasn't so much a question i was just curious like if you had experienced that as well he's an asshole though this dude like he is yeah he might be a top 10 asshole in all teen films like. <laughs> but man is is he does he have the looks like what is going on with this kid's face like did they build him in a lab one day like it's just <laughs> unreal that i don't he it wasn't in like a thousand other movies or something like he seems like a really great actor like there's no way this one role like damaged him or anything i don't i wish i knew what was going on there man because i just feel like this guy should have been a staple or something you know what i'm saying like he should have been in everything maybe the role did damage him i mean it's pretty he's a pretty shitty person in this movie but i mean if anything it goes to show like what a good actor he is right like <laughs> if you were to meet him in person and he's like hey can i get you a coffee i'd be like sure man like i'm not gonna be like get out of here troll <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair so mike favorite scenes favorite moments Tell me. Oh, boy. So I like basically, I mean, I like basically everything about this movie, Brian. You're going to have to, like, drag some of this out of me. Let's see. I I think, okay, so, like, a standout scene is, like we referenced earlier, the, the dance scene where um, Coleman as Bobby somehow um, I mean, I, have we remembers set... the muscle memory on how to dance. Have we set this properly before we get there? Like... No, it's, set it, it's, set it's very it. confusing to me. That's why. So I'm okay, going to try okay. to explain it, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, okay? Okay. There's two older couples, and they live in kind of like a two-family house that's right next to the high school. No. Uh, no? No. Only uh, Jason Robards and Piper Laurie live there. Harry Dean Stanton is their friend who has come over. Oh, uh, F- FYI. I don't think we mentioned him yet. Harry Dean Stanton is in this. Piper Laurie, they're both in this. Twin yeah. Peaks connection. Do Twin I get a Peaks. point on the, on the bingo board? For, Absolutely. For <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, if you want to deal deal with, like, weird dreams and things like that. I, oh, give me give me Lynch direct, okay. directing oh. Dream a Little Dream. I would, <laughs> me... woo, I would watch that. So, basically, what's going on is, like, Jason Robards and Piper Laurie are out doing their meditation one night and well okay um, but, but tell me tell me first because i was confused then who the hell is harry dean stanton and the lady he's with they don't live together i thought there was like a four family home no 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 they're just they're friends but they don't live in the same house that's oh. not a two that's not a two family house it's just a two-story house i was so confused by that i'm like what's the dynamic here am i is something <laughs> i don't understand is someone having an affair with someone like so i was super confused no so. that was all just like joking when he's like let me take you away from him and stuff like that and yeah i think he was just flirting with her okay forget harry dean stanton for a little bit he's cool but whatever so jason robards and piper laurie they are an older couple, and there's implications that Jason Robards, what's his name again? You said it before. Coleman. Coleman might have dementia, and that's why he's talking about all these dreams and stuff. Oh, it, 
I had never picked up on that. That's yeah, interesting. They, they say it a couple of times, and that's the implication with Harry Dean Stanton as well. That like, oh, talk to him because I don't know where his mind is going. And he's more like, no, 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 trust me. We could live on forever together in love if we do this, you know? But he's like a doctor in dream theory. And like he has like stuff on his walls and like a library filled with research. Like I, I this get it, isn't but this just is like... wacky and the science is never explained. If I'm Piper Laurie, I'm kind of like, I don't know if I buy this either, you know? So Okay, okay, but, okay. But, but she goes along with it because it's it's so, for me, they're they're obviously in love. And she definitely wants to go back to a time where... You know, they were doing things. This is, By the way, this is a film in Wilmington. We've seen a couple of high school films filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina. I've never been. Seems like a very beautiful town. I'll just say that. Yeah, right. So we get a montage of their romance or whatever. But yes, they're doing their kind of like calisthenics there. <laughs> no, they're doing their kata. It's, 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 it's like, you know, it's like karate, whatever. Like they're meditating. They're yes, so, yes they're meditating. They're dream meditating. In previous scenes, we see that the kids, and there was always a house like this in every high school you go to, yep. where you would cut across because it was easier to get to school or get somewhere, right? Like the the coffee shop or where the back alley where you hung out, right? Like there was always a, a house you cut through, and that's the house they cut through. So he yells at the meddling kids from time to time. Um, but while they're doing their little meditation thing. Ritual, yeah. Yes. Feldman bumps into what is Laney. Laney. Okay, I know his name's not Feldman, it's Bobby, but Bobby bumps into Laney. Boom. So instead of a body switch, as we've said, they've kind of combined subconscious. Is that's that's what I'm getting? Yeah, at? yeah. Yeah. So basically what happens is the older people's minds go into the younger people's bodies. Uh, no, wait, not even just like their entire being, like their body disappears and everything. So, yeah, it just seems like they fuse together or something like quite uh, unclear, unclear. I'll just <laughs> say. But, but look, Mike, I know you're a big defender of this film. How can yes. that be unclear when okay, that so is here, the entire premise of the okay, movie? OK, OK, OK. So it's actually very clear visually what is going on okay and if you're willing to sort of buy the premise it works they're in the backyard meditating trying to get to this elevated mental state right like like um opening their third eye or whatever right like they're trying to find that that place where they can sort of you know as he puts it sort of like share their mind share a consciousness or whatever at the same time Corey feldman and Meredith Salinger, they run into each other right in front of the old people meditating. And at that moment, there's like some kind of cosmic incident where... Which we don't really see. Which, But what we do see, okay, we see them meditating on the yard and we see the kids crash into each other. Then we see the kids lying on the yard... And that's it. We don't see the old people. So there's only one place they could have gone. And that's inside the body of those kids. Because where else could they go? Did they just disappear? Like, well, And we'll find out in the very next scene when he opens his eyes that Bobby thinks he's Coleman. Yeah, so Bobby wakes up in his home and he's clearly Coleman. And he's like, what the hell's going on? Who are you? And he's trying to kind of feel his way through that. And these are some of the better scenes, I think, of the film. You guys aren't going to eat that, are you? Is he okay? 
Ask him if he wants a Pop-Tart. Oh, Ellen Dinger is here. I'm sorry, what's your name? Gus. Gus, and... Mom. Mom. Gus and Mom. Well, I'll see you guys later. Gus, I'm gonna call Dr. Jordan and have his head, have him look him over. I don't know, at least he's finally appreciating the tie I got him. What did you do, run out of moose? Uh, you're Dinger, right? Right, me Dinger, you Bobby. Me look cool, you good shit, pal. It's okay, though, it's okay, we'll make it a fashion statement. Oh, listen, I've got some things to do. I'll meet you at school. Bobby, isn't there any film left in your camera, dude? Look, you cannot cut any more classes. Bobby, you're already on the boys' VP most wanted list. You gotta go to school. It's a dirty job. Someone's gotta do it, okay? School, you know? School? Hey, buddy. School's that way. Yonder. We traffic in mockery. Yeats, 1928. Okay, sure. It's okay, pal. I know, I know. I've been there. Take a deep breath. Shh, it's okay. It's all right. I'm here. I'm with you. You're okay. You're secure. Corey Haim is like, what, what's going on with you, man? Whatever. Let's just go to school. He assumes he's either drunk or on something, on some kind of drug. And he's like, yeah, let's just, you know, I'll, I'll guide you through it, you know? And when you see that those school scenes, it's like chaos. It's almost like you said, like, class of 1984. Not quite like that kind of anarchist, Ben, but just like, holy shit. This is a scary version of high school. Everyone's just running into each other. People aren't opening their lockers, you know. And that's a slow day, he says. It's a calm one today. He's like coming and, through and, the halls, and it's bedlam. And Coleman, as a Corey, in the Corey body, I did like this. Like, he's intelligent. He's clearly an intelligent guy. So he's not, like, completely freaking out. He's like, let me say what I need to say to survive so I can find that girl, or, or who my wife swapped by, yes. so, so, we, so we can do something about this i'm not sure what like that's kind of the the tact he's taking here mind you when he sleeps he has dreams that he actually sees the real bobby in his dreams and he's like yo we got to do something about this you know it's, it's it's weird it's interesting just to get on the laney character too laney yeah so 80s she's on like the aerobics team or whatever lots no, of no it's 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 like the dance squad I get it like, but it, like they're it's, not really, it's cheerleading they're, but not I guess but they're not like competitive dancing that's not what you would see oh, it looks like, like they're working out a routine they're not exercising that's not what you would see in like a halftime show or anything it's some 80s combo of what you're saying and what I'm saying you know like there's a lot of like there, yeah. there are a lot of exercise moves in it. Later, she truly dances, which is a scene I know you want to talk about. But when she's practicing and stuff, like with like the 40 girls, they're just like, I don't know, all in their lycra, stretching to, you know, to the music. Yeah, well, look, there is, there, is a, there is a large aspect of this movie, intentional or not, that is just about the fashion. Like, this is mm-hmm. a fashion-forward film, folks, okay? Like, and we got I think we mentioned stuff like this before. Like, we're on the cusp. Right, it's like 1989. We're on the cusp of of grunge, okay? So everybody is sort of leaning in that direction. Even in this movie, right? They're sort of ripping their shirts, wearing lots of bracelets, like everything but the plaid shirts around their waist in this movie. 
<laughs> but when no one I feel like was ever able to properly like predict that or anything, you know, and I just this is just I, you know, there's no way like this is this is swinging for the fence with this stuff. Like I it's amazing the fashion in this movie sometimes. Like sometimes it's so incredibly 80s and sometimes it's like, you know, who from the future like sent them a letter <laughs> to tell them what to wear? It's I don't understand what they're wearing sometimes, but it's it's a magical in that way. Like it is a visual feast. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because the fashion is actually really, really good. It's it's really, really good. Like, it, it, good is not the best word for it, but just I kept writing notes on the fashion, the coats they're wearing. I love how when Coleman is in a Corey body, he starts to dress like he used to dress, but it's still kind of cool in the '80s to wear that big kind of bender jacket, you know. Uh, you know he doesn't have like a monocle and a pipe or something he doesn't look like that kind of old man like he he's out of he's fish out of water but it's not crazy fish out of water like you could still rock that look in the 80s so and again the what the girls are wearing the hats everything everything fashion wise is pretty pretty the moose i mean do they still sell hair moose i don't know but i used to put a shitload of it in my (laughs) hair because of this movie I mean, though, I mean, as far I could never wear a lot of the stuff that Corey pulls off, like a bullet belt or, you know, lots of like the Kaiser's war medals on my <laughs> denim jacket. You know what I mean? Like, I can't like do that, but I think it's cool as hell. There's a girl in the classroom who's wearing a like <laughs> sailor's hat. Like yes. A, like a Navy yeah. hat. Like So, OK, I think I know what that might be referencing. And I could be completely out of my mind, but all I could think of was Grease 2, where there's... Have you seen Grease 2? Have you I have covered not. Grease 2? I, I'm waiting to cover it. It's one of Joey's So, in Grease 2, um, one of, I believe, one of the pink ladies wears, like, a sailor hat or an outfit like that, or, like, there's a whole sequence where one of the T-Birds is trying to sleep with one of the pink ladies, and they go to, like, a bomb shelter, and I'm pretty sure she's kind of dressed like that. I don't know. I, I could be wrong, listeners. Uh... You know, don't hold it against me, but but um, that would have been amazing if it, if that's what they were referencing. <laughs> In terms of the plot here, Coleman as a as a Corey, that's what I'm going to call him. He's yeah. he's trying to, I don't know, figure out what's going on when he finally <laughs> meets. Now, what is? I don't know what I should call this character. What do you want to call the girl here as the other? Like, just call her Lainey. We'll just it's call because, her Lainey, right? Because here's the here's the the weird thing. This movie bites off way more than it can chew, because they don't know how to do the other body swap properly. Lainey knows something's up. Like something is different. She can't quite put her finger on it, but she does not think that she is the old lady like the Piper Laurie character. Even by the end of the movie, I don't think she believed it. Like, he almost convinces her. But, like, I feel like there's an aspect where they drop the ball. Like, if she knew, but was kind of, like, keeping it to herself at first, I don't she think was that's, freaking... I, I don't think that's the case. I'm. My, it's not I, the case. It's I'm not the so case. Confused. I just... I wish it was. I wish... I don't know why they went the route of... Because I feel like it is the movie's great misstep. You're going to do two mind mixes do two mind mixes don't do one and a half don't do one and a half ass like how amazing if 
this old couple are now teenagers and one is dating the other's best friend and like they need to get together and if they don't get together in time they'll never wake up in their own bodies like that is the movie i wish this really was you know what i mean like that's the movie I, I agree with you, and I, this is the biggest misstep to me and the biggest point of confusion, just to be clear. <laughs> yes. So towards the end, we learn that, yes, this is definitely the case. You know, Piper Laurie's character is in this girl, but she has no idea. Whereas, like, Feldman right. woke up and he and he knew, right? Well, like, oh, yeah. So I implied on my own that since he knew what he was doing. He was... I think he even mentions this in one of the dreams. He's like, well, she wasn't... She didn't really want to go along with this. She isn't as into it as I am. I was actually following, like, a certain, like, criteria. And, like, she didn't... Like, she was just kind of along for the ride. So she's not fully aware of what's happening. I am. I think that's what he was trying to say. But it's it's not... It's very unclear. Like... They needed. She she needed to know. I know why. I don't know why either. All I could think of is like he just couldn't figure out how to like write it, or you know that just wasn't the story he was interested in telling for whatever reason. Otherwise, this feels unfortunately, and I'm realizing it now. It feels like a lot of sort of like gaslighting going on. You know where Corey Feldman is telling this girl that he loves, like no, like you're not who you think you are. You're really this. This is what you like. You like me. You don't like Joel. Like. Like, believe me, like, I know you better than you know yourself. Like, no, like, I don't like the, I don't want to see that really, you which, know, like, which that's was not so proper. confusing. And I thought the movie was going to be that. And I was literally like, wait, is this old guy in a young guy's body going to fall in love with a teenager just because he thinks that might be where his wife is? I really thought that was the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then it proved me wrong in the end, but it, it, I, I mean, it needed to be tightened. It needed to be tightened. <laughs> it, it definitely needs to be tightened. And I think, luckily, when I was younger, like, I, I didn't dwell on it because I just, I don't know, maybe I wasn't focused on it. Like, I think the movie does a good job with its sort of sleight of hand, like, misdirecting you in certain ways and getting you to think about things. And not, I mean, it didn't work on you, apparently. Like, you've got all the questions. <laughs> but, like, when I was younger, that definitely, like, never occurred to me beyond, like, a drop line. You know, if he said, oh, she wasn't into it. It didn't affect her the same way. Her mind isn't, you know, whatever in the in the body as whatever. Like, fine. Like, okay, we're just gonna follow Coleman. I get it. But now, as an adult, I see the potential for what isn't there, you know, or like for I see the potential for what could have been. So I have a uh, like three or four scenes I really want to ask you about. Oh, can I just say though, because you brought up one of my favorite scenes, and it was the moment as a kid where I was like, I don't know about high school, and that is. When Coleman, as as Corey, walks around the corner, and you see how like excited Corey Haim is, and the look on the the dread on Corey Feldman's face <laughs> sold yeah, it yeah. perfectly for me. And then you cut to the reverse shot, and it's just chaos in the hallways. Like, and then you got the end of the world playing and everything. Like, it scared the shit out of me, man. And like, I was still getting goosebumps. I was like remembering how much that like bothered me when I was a kid. I was like, wow, that. That really got under my skin when I was younger. This movie honestly has a lot of great scenes. It really does, and a lot of great moments. So, again, I don't think they're tied together that well, but th that's one of them. And this next one is a funny scene. It's an interesting scene, but I think a memorable scene. It would, and if this movie was a little bit more popular, it probably would have been the classic scene. And that's the one you said before, that dance scene where... 
Um, uh, Mike, why don't you describe this scene a little bit? Because I I know you're a big fan. Okay. So basically, like, Lainey is practicing her dance moves because since she might be Gina, the Piper Laurie character, she can't remember them during the day. So she has to stay after and, like, practice on her own and stuff. And Coleman, as Corey, really needs to talk to her. And she's like, all right, if you need to talk to me, come find me. I'll be doing my dancing or whatever. And so, like, in order to sort of, like, I guess get her to trust him or get her to go out and talk or do something. He shows up in the gymnasium while she's practicing by herself. He apparently is blaring the dream, a little dream remix um, cover (laughs) song. And he proceeds to dance down the bleachers as Michael Jackson. You're crazy. Did you know that? No, I'm also cute, too. All right? So, will you come go with me? Do I have a choice? It doesn't make sense, though. Why would that <laughs> be a he... Michael Jackson dance move? Why would this old man have Michael Jackson dance moves in him? So the only thing I could think of is there's two things that, that came to mind. One is um, in a dream, Bobby told him to watch some VHS tapes. So he so he looked and acted more like himself. Remember when it comes that to classing true. like dude all the time or whatever? That is true. Um, and the other thing is, I think it's muscle memory. I don't think Coleman knows he's like not in control. I wish it was more clear, but there's this look on his face where he's like, did I do that? And he's like, oh my God, look what I can do. And then he even throws in like the old school Charlie Chaplin moves and stuff with like, he does like the the, the Ronald McDonald and like the pull the straight, like he's pulling a, he's pulling himself. He's doing like mime dancing at points and stuff. So I don't know. I mean, I think the point of the scene is to show that he's this non-threatening kind of goofy safe to be with and we share an interest we're both dancers so like take a chance like at least go to dinner with me hear me out it's just you know it's like i need to win you over how am i going to do that (laughs) i never would have thought of this but that's i think that's what the scene's about i mean i don't know how you arrive to these choices (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm glad they made these choices for better or for worse. Like that, that to me is like the thing about this film. It's like what they get wrong. It's so spectacularly wrong that like, you can't hate them for it. Like, I just feel like there's so much charm and good intention behind what they're trying to do that. Like I, I let a lot of this kind of shit slide. Like, no, this doesn't make any sense. But in 1989, this is like to a 10 year old. It's like, yeah, I would, I would totally try and like, dance serenade a girl after school if I had the moves or anything, you know, like it just feels like like a very kind of teen kid thing to do. Like not a great idea. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but maybe I'll impress her. Yeah, I mean again, just because of what I know, I know it's shoehorned in and maybe that's an issue. But Well, you also gotta imagine like Michael Jackson was bigger than Michael Jordan still in like this in 1989. You know what yeah, I mean? And like yeah, Michael Jordan sure. was fucking huge, but Michael Jackson was the when you said MJ, you thought of him first. <laughs> like that's the and that's the bottom line. And I and I really feel like the Stone Cold said so. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that isn't the only time. You know, if you were to comb through ni- 80s and 90s movies, you'd find a lot of Michael Jackson stuff if you were looking for it. I'll just say that. This this is so in your face because we're not like it doesn't really make much sense aside from um 
this guy's very eclectic dresser. Like, you know, what an artistic guy. Like, maybe he'll go to TIFF. Like, I... <laughs> I don't know about that. Like, that's the thing. But that's the thing. Like, we don't know Bobby. We never really get to. So, like, I only can sort of approach him on a very shallow level. Like, he's, to me, like, I know, I know Coleman. I don't know Bobby. So, like, I'm trying to figure him out through his visual expression and stuff like that and so you know if he's the kind of guy who's going to spend hours this, you know working on this dance so that when he gets mind wiped or body wiped or swapped that like it's just going to be muscle memory like he's, he's really into that shit i don't know <laughs> well we do know that he's probably not going to pass the sats but a smart old man gets into his body and then i'm assuming he's Dude, going to pass the sats at this point that's the remake Okay, the remake of Dream a Little Dream is I I'm a shitty student. I can't I got the SATs in a week and fucking Finding Forrester lives down the street and we swap bodies and like for a week I go out on his book publicity tour and he goes to high school for me and passes my SATs. <laughs> that that movie's in here basically. You oh could say God. this movie is, you know, about a struggling student who, you know, uh, body is inhabited by a 65-year-old professor who then proceeds to straighten up his school life. <laughs> the, I would watch that. I would watch that. Uh, just <laughs> I, I sigh, Mike. Because, again, I know you like the movie. I sigh because there was a lot of potential here. I feel like they needed to develop the script a little bit more. Yeah, like, it's it's not, it's not, how can I say, like, it's hard to explain when you say, like, it's not even about the script or the plot. Like, this movie and its sort of dream logic and, and, and its, like, MTV montage style, like, it's just about emotions and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I'm not going to go crazy and say, like, you know, those are, like, the bones of pure cinema or whatever, but, like, honestly... You can get emotional reactions, like you said, on a scene to scene basis. They just don't kind of link together well. Like they yeah, just, that's a great the, the way to story put it. the story isn't complete, but the rest of the movie is. That I know that doesn't sound like it makes any sense, but it it makes sense to me. But I could no, it does make sense to me because I can think of so many moments that I look back on, like that was really funny or that was really cool. And then when I string them together in my mind, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? Like, like, how is this all in the same movie? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, we have a like an SAT subplot, but do we even see their test scores and stuff? No, no. We see them take the SATs. But that's it. Like, in the that's teaser, it. You got to take your SATs, you know? Oh, hope you're going to get your SATs. Boom. Nothing about it. So that was... No, no, no. It's way more the, like, Bobby stealing the his best friend's girlfriend and not even realizing it because he knows his best friend's a fucking asshole who doesn't deserve to be with not just her but like anyone really <laughs> he's a real real scumbag uh but like that's what most of the movie sort of focuses on when it comes to the nitty-gritty it's like them on dates him with laney here and then he gets his ass kicked by the punks and then him with laney there and then he gets you know beat up by someone else and like him him and Lainey, and like, yeah, that's like, it's all of this, like, romance stuff. But, but Mike, if it was just like a teenage romance bully thing, fine. We get a scene with a gun later! What do you mean, Brian? You just finished doing Gus Van Sant movies for, okay. like, a okay. month. But, like, <laughs> it escalates from, like, oh, what's gonna happen, blah, 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 to this D-bag. What's his name again? Joel? Joel just... Look... Woo! Woo! I mean, 
you don't think he fits the pattern? Oh, he does. Like, you don't. He does. You don't think? Yeah. I, when that appeared, even when I was a kid, I was like, "Yep, uh huh." Like I get that. Like that is totally the guy. Like he would get the gun. He his dad has a gun somewhere. And like even in the eighties, like I you you know eighties were big. They even did a nine hundred two and zero episode where Brian's best friend, the uh, Brian Austin Green, on the show. Uh, his best friend shoots himself in the face playing with a gun. Like it was a hot button topic. I when that gun came out, shit started getting real for real, and I was like, "Damn, yeah." Even now, I was like, "Yeah, I think that is uh, right." You know, the kid Joel is a dick. He is relentlessly bullied in school too. So like, he's a perfect storm for that kind of shit. You know, like it all runs downhill with this kid, and he's had enough of it. And so like, he gets bullied in school by the punks, and then he goes and he bullies his friends, and then his friend steals his girlfriend, and now he's got no one, and so he's gonna go get a gun, and you know, get his fucking power back. I guess I don't know what what people are thinking. I don't own a gun. I don't know. <laughs> that did not sort of jump out at me as like, whoa, where's this movie going now? It was more like, yeah, like this movie's intense. Like I see it escalating to a death or something. Yes. In real life, could that happen with that character? Sure. When you're having fun dance montages and stuff, that's not what I'm thinking is going to happen but, in but this movie. <laughs> okay. But is that such a bad thing like i think that is clever like the idea that we go from him and laney sort of build building this relationship and him gaining her trust and like you know screwing it up and everything by saying we're the old people and she's like you always have to like go there and shit and then for her to go to the dance with joel to get beat up on the dance floor and everything like i don't know i feel like there's a lot of like shifting the uh like the tone of this right mm-hmm. like it isn't very consistent and it shifts but i always felt a dark sort of vibe under all of it like the whole undertone of all of this like i always felt like there was a um like doom or something at the end you know i did not think originally like everyone was going to get back to normal when i first saw this as a kid uh, and I still sort of got that feeling of like, there's a dread. I don't know. I mean, I can understand you not getting that or, or feeling that, I should say. Like, I mean, everyone approaches this stuff differently. But like, for me, that seemed kind of like, a you know, obvious conclusion. I'll, I'll just say this. Look at the poster or, D, or VHS <laughs> cover. And then, okay. and then let's talk about that. This is a film where an abusive boyfriend, uh, once he sees that his girlfriend is no longer with him, hits his girlfriend on the dance floor, finds a gun, and is about to shoot somebody. Like, it just escalated to a place that I didn't expect to be. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I get you. I feel that, and I would under- and I understand that. And I would say this. If Corey Feldman's character was the one whipping out Ooh. the gun at the end of the movie, then I think I'd have a lot more problems with it. But this movie, like... It's nothing like the poster. Come on, like it's right nothing from the like that. You're right. What you're the right. fuck? Like right. you can't you can't say like because there's no gun on the poster, there shouldn't be a gun in the movie or anything like that, or you know. But like, it's a teenage high school movie from the '80s. A gun might show up. Like I, I don't know. Here's another thing too: is like seeing Corey and Corey. Like they 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 are bad boys. You know what I'm saying? Like their movie might have like some violence in it or sex or what you know what i'm saying like there's they they were edgy for 
but teen stars. So. But then make an edgy movie like The Lost Boys. I love The Lost Boys. <laughs> Which, that was there's an... a poster in this movie. Yes, Easter egg. <laughs> I, yeah. I thought The Lost Boys was fun and edgy, and it was shit on at the time. But like I, I watch it back now, and I'm like, not that I'm like, oh, this is the greatest movie in the world, but the tone in that is consistent where it's funny, there's violence. You know, it's a good combo. Here we yeah. escalate to such a moment that's truly heartbreaking and scary and i just again i i guess i just didn't expect it i didn't know that that was gonna be and i don't know again just to set the tone right like he gets the gun and he we didn't talk about the punks either the punks who are bullies in this movie yeah see growing up the punks i knew were not bullies they were just more like anti-establishment and they hated the bullies they weren't everyone's friends but they just wouldn't associate like they wouldn't get angry like that because they just wouldn't associate with that like you can get into a fight with a punk by like getting in their way theoretically or like little stuff like that right then but they might tease like a popular kid or something like that but it wasn't like let's pick on the dweebs kind of punk you know what i'm saying like yeah i was kind of like oh my god were were punks in the 80s more like this (laughs) there's a there's a real strange yeah dynamic between them because i think we also come to find out later that like it was a situation we were talking about earlier where where joel and that kid used to be friends and then they grew apart and now they kind of hate each other for no reason and they just ended up like getting on each other's nerves and and that whole kind of fucking thing and everything like that but but I, i mean this movie is inconsistent from the beginning like from the opening with the doo-wop and them talking in the bedroom <laughs> to cutting to the fucking dream of little dream opening sequence of of him dancing on stage and everything like that and then we get a lot of the stuff with the old people and then we're back to Corey and then we get all this overlapping kind of not overlapping dialogue but very kind of cool like one one person will say something in one scene to someone and then someone and they'll cut to someone in another scene answering somebody else but the same but the answer to the correct question like it's real weird and and disorienting and that's the deal man like this movie is trying to like i think upon closer inspection 2 hours of talking about it watching it three <laughs> times recently it's trying to disorient you. There is a sense of dream logic in the way that it's cut and edited and and like you know not everybody is very reliable and when you bring in stuff like you know coleman might even have like the beginnings of dementia and things like you can't trust anything going on in this movie really however it still arrives at a lot of great moments and i think the gun led to a really great moment a really amazing speech by Corey. i can't believe i'm saying it like i really think Corey Feldman. this might be the best he's ever been like i don't think he's gets better than this like this he's great in this movie if you ask me um like he's not acting like he acts in any other movie as far as i could tell and i think when he gives that speech it comes across like so sincere like it shocked me like i really couldn't believe what i was like feeling come on man put the gun down just come with us we're friends singer man if you're my friend you want to come with me all right Come on, man, you pushed me out of the car. Look, Joel, I hate Dumas too, but you can't kill him. Listen to them, man. They're your friends. All right, this whole thing is way out of control. Hey, Keller, you're not very high on my list right now, right? But, Bobby, let us talk to him, man. Back off. No, you back off. All right, what are we all doing here, guys? What are we all here for? Because I kicked Dumas's ass? So what? Big deal. He kicked mine back. Even is even. Fair is fair. You guys don't seem to understand something. I have been living my life 
day by day for so long that I can't even remember why I ate too much. Or like dinner. 20 years from now, I'm gonna be sitting back and I'm gonna be thinking of my school friends, and I'm gonna think of Dumas. Dumas was an asshole. But so what? We are still friends in school. Aren't I right? Aren't we friends? Straight man. Go and steal my girlfriend. Tell me who my friends are, huh? It's not like he's saying the most amazing, prolific stuff. He's literally saying, "You've got a gun pointed at your friend, man. Shit is confusing because we're kids. Like we're not supposed to know who we are. Like it's that same old shit, you know. But like the moment is so tense, and in and in like I'm like in it that like it's coming across like. Shakespeare sometimes, <laughs> like, holy shit, like, what is going on? Like, I feel it so hard. So, like, you know, is it even a good movie? I don't know, but, like, I just, I know I like it. <laughs> well, M- Mike, you make a really good point, I, and I wrote this down as well, to be honest with you. I thought that speech he gave there was actually really good. It, again, it's more of the tonal shifts that I have yeah. issues with, but you're right, we just escalate from, like, a dance to a gun to like our main character about to die in an alley by being shot. And then when you project that that's not a teenager saying that speech, that's like someone with life perspective, right? Giving this lesson in a body of a teenager. It was actually pretty impactful. And watching all these movies for this podcast, that's like the one lesson I can take that I just remember being a teenager and how everything felt like the end of the world. You know, yeah. every single yeah. thing. Now, this guy's literally going to die here, so I get it. But, <laughs> you know, the littlest thing, like, oh, my God, they cut my hair wrong. I can't go to school. Uh, dude, After dude, I, I, school, I mean, you know, I was in shop class and the, the light wouldn't go on. I mean, what, what does that sound like? It's fucking Brian from the Breakfast Club. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's the everything is the end of the world when you're 15 because your mind doesn't know how to deal with that shit yet you know it's not formed enough to i feel oh like i feel and felt at the time like you know maybe i should go to high school in in three years from now when i'm ready for it or something you know what i'm saying i just feel like a lot of people just like are not prepared in a lot of ways for those kinds of experiences because it'd be super intense and like a lot of people are on their own during those times and be really tough so so let's talk about i guess the way this film ends because my biggest questions are this, like, how did everything come back together again? How did they reverse the mm-hmm. process? You tell me, because I was so confused. Okay. Because there's a, there's this really uh, another intense moment, right? So we didn't really talk about her parents, who don't like, you know, Corey, Corey Feldman. They don't like him. They kind of like this other boyfriend. But they, once they see that that boyfriend abused her, the mom even makes excuses for him and stuff. It the, Her parental situation is really fucked up. Like, her feud with her mom, I was like, oh, my God, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. That was yeah. so intense, you know? But so, like, at times, Brian, this is like a Lifetime movie. You ah, know what I mean? Like, like it, but that is melodrama, and that is what parents and their kids go through in high school. And I can only imagine what my mom and sister, <laughs> you know, the things I don't know that like the arguments they must have had. And like the, the, the way that these two are talking to each other. So like, I don't know, like, I, I mean, it's just like spiteful or something. It's just, it's heavy, man. But I hear you. Like, it's another one of those tone shifts where it's like, now it's a serious high school drama. Okay. 
<laughs> like, all right, if you want it to be. For sure, for sure. And then um, there's a moment, though, where, uh, you know, Feldman. They Corey, drug her. Well, yeah. She, oh, yeah, sorry. She's drugged, but Corey Feldman. Uh, so the one of the big, I guess, hypotheses in the movie is like, oh, don't go to sleep. If we're both awake and we do this, we'll get to where we need to go and become ourselves again and get out of this teenage hell, essentially. And he's like, whatever you do, don't go to sleep. I just need to make sure that this guy doesn't shoot someone tonight. But when he gets back to the house, she's obviously falling asleep. And she's asleep by that point, and the parents don't let him in, which, again, even though they shouldn't side with the abusive dude, I get why you wouldn't let, like, a teenage boy in after your daughter went to sleep. You know? That made complete sense. Yeah, sure, whatever. And then... He sneaks into her room, punches out the glass, gets a bloody hand, and, like, he's trying to wake her up, but it seems so sinister because his hand is bleeding and there's blood all over his face. Yeah. I don't think the parents overreacted by freaking out. No, no, no. It looks like they busted. It looks like he killed her. Like, it legit, that's what it's supposed to look like. It's like everything is is taken out of context. You know what I mean? Like, they just see the blood, and she's passed out, and he's on top of her, like, shaking her to wake up, wake up. Like, yeah, if you were a parent, you'd think that this guy just, like, killed her or something. Absolutely, you know? And that's a scary scene. And and I'm like, oh, my God, where is this movie going? So There's three minutes left. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, what? So, <laughs> so you tell me, Mike, what the F happened after okay. this moment in your, okay. in your mind? Uh, all right. So I'll tell you what I think happened after that moment, and then I'll have to maybe go back a little bit. But um, after that moment, he goes to his house. He walks in the back door as Bobby, and he walks out the front door as Coleman, the old man again. He has sort of reverted back. He's He is now in his own body. Things should be back to normal at this point. Now, how that happened? Okay, so like throughout the entire movie, every time he falls asleep and wakes up in the dream world, he's talking to Corey Feldman, and Corey Feldman's like spouting out all these ideas. He's like, he's like, maybe you got to do this. Maybe you got to do that. Maybe you do this. If you do this, you could do that. And he's like, I'm not doing nothing. I like it here. I like no responsibilities. You're running my life for me and all this stuff. Which was, and a, little, one which point, was a little inconsistent, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. And then at one point, he says something like, you better hurry up, you know, time's running out, uh, you know, if you don't do this soon, you're going to be trapped like this forever. And then at the end of the movie, he goes, remember all that stuff I said about if you didn't do this in time, you'd be trapped forever? Yeah, well, I just made all that shit up. I was like, wait, what? So, like, I think, honestly, it's just like a cop-out. <laughs> like, I don't think he had Dude, a right. I, am I don't so think he has... Confused. I don't think he has like a con. I think it's a very metaphysical kind of like hoity toity answer as far as like, okay, so like it was going to wear off eventually. That's how I kind of take it. He's trying to uh, recreate the experiment with her in the backyard when he had to go take care of the gun sitch situation and everything like that. So like the idea was to recreate the experiment, but then what? Don't you need like two more bodies to crash into each other? Like, I'm not sure. I don't know how they could have gotten back, which brings me back to, like, way in the beginning of the movie, if they had just made Coleman more of, like, a scientist and I think, like, kind of yeah, talk like, about... Yeah, like Doc more, Brown or something. Yeah, and have have actually done more dream-type experiments and was, like, way more into it and had, like, the equipment 
you know, if they weren't just meditating and they actually like hooked themselves up to something and then it took like some kind of impact for it to work and then they could figure out how to reverse it or something with something else. I don't know, but it's, I cannot, <laughs> I wish I could, but I really, I can't answer that question as far as the movie's concerned. I can only tell you what I have to sort of fill the blanks in with. So weird. But let me ask you this. What? Is it any worse than any other body swap movie, okay? Is it any worse than The Piss Wish, where, <laughs> where fucking The Change Up, I'm sorry, it's called The Change Up, but it's Ryan Reynolds and um, the guy from Arrested Development. Jason um, Bateman. Arrested Development, Jason come Bateman, on, Teen Wolf 2. Teen Wolf 2, they both drunkenly urinate into the same fountain and wake up in each other's bodies. Recently on Comedy Bang Bang, someone referred to that movie as The Piss Wish. <laughs> I think that's perfect. But, like, honestly, like, part of the conceit to these is how stupid the actual, like, device is to get somebody back to normal or whatever, you know? Um, it's usually Fair. some kind of, like, um, inappropriately mystic item or something like that or whatever. I think in Freaky Friday, the mom and the daughter just said the same exact words at the same exact time, and they switched bodies. Like, there's nothing. So... Ultimately, like it doesn't, it didn't bother me. I mean, it confuses me, but it doesn't really bother me because the whole movie is very confusing. But I understand if you need to know, <laughs> I just can't tell you. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think you make a really good point there. Trying to even Google search like you know body swap movies and see which one has the best resolution, and I can't even think big maybe just finding but what is what is the what but again it's like a it's a fortune telling machine yeah yeah no the hot chick is like a a bracelet yeah you know like i think vice versa is like a crystal skull like it's crazy at least that's simple though like they well at least it's something you know like at least it's something they they either i'm not sure in this film if they didn't give us enough or gave us too much that's where i am with this I'm not sure if the right. better strategy would have been to simplify and cut stuff out and just be like, oh, make it good where I don't even care what it is, or really show me the lore so that it makes sense. I don't know the answer to that. And then, again, we just get this ending, and everything's hunky-dory, everyone's happy-happy. The the young couple meet, and even though they were separate people, they're still together for some reason. <laughs> yes. They're not like, I whoa, love that. where was I? Why are we together? They're like, okay, cool, let's just date. Yeah, so at the end of the movie, like, it makes me think, like, that they were, like, if he didn't get these two together, they he wouldn't wake up. Like, it's so bizarre because Bobby and Lainey are now together, but they haven't even been living the last week of their own life. <laughs> like, they wake up and they're together, and it's like, great, that's what Bobby wanted, but I'm sure Lainey is like, well, what happened with Joel? And then someone's got to tell her, tell her, like, yeah, he, like, beat you up on the dance and shit and then she's got to like process all that it's not like the next morning they're going to be walking to school with their arms around each other i mean it's great it works perfect for the movie don't get me wrong like i'm <laughs> so happy when i see that and they have like this look at each other and like they understand like the old man understands the young kid now and like there's a mutual respect and everything and you know respect your elders and you know yeah. Oh man, yeah. it's it's amazing. It's, <laughs> but it's what makes it amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the I get it. And I, and I say this about a lot of movies that I like that aren't regarded as pre, as like necessarily good movies. You know, and I would not. I don't think that this is regarded as a quote unquote good movie. 
but it has the balls and like a lot of times I'll say that like it has like the balls or the gall to just like do that or go somewhere or commit itself to an idea so hard or not or just want to be like let's just lace a little bit of of something in there you know like let's make a body swap movie but not let's make a dream movie but not like just the just to execute something like this that is part of sort of the fun for me you know the idea that it even exists makes me giddy okay i i can i can buy that i can buy that i mean I, we all have these movies that we love you know and well that oh, okay so granted it's a way better movie that works on more levels but you know rad okay we all know someone who loves the hell out of that movie who's <laughs> listening to this and that's a great that that is legitimately though like a great movie for, for the time and everything but like there's a certain level of camp to enjoying it at oh, this moment look, you know i love mean? camp and there's a lot of camp i love about dream a little dream but what i don't love is just i don't want to be asking these questions i just want to go along for the ride especially in something like this i don't know i don't know fair enough fair enough uh, you know i mean i kind of feel like uh, in a lot of ways i pressured you into watching this movie. No, I'm look, for, I, two, I, for two, I mean it took 2 years, but like. No, I'm I'm excited to, you know, sorry, I was excited to watch it. I'm happy talking about it. I'm not like, oh, like I I'm not a guy who's going to be like, why did you make me watch this or oh, I just wasted 2 no, hours no. of my life, yeah. you know? There's some fun things that I'll always remember from this film. But just watching it analytically and I probably shouldn't, but this is a podcast. I think that's where we're you know, that's where yeah. maybe there's a disconnect between you and me. You have the nostalgia for this. You have the background. This is not your first watch. This is my first watch. And I'm trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I'm like, no, what? You, you know? Yeah. Isn't the, 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 you could never do that. Like, <laughs> that, that is, that is sometimes the problem, you know, watching stuff for the first time for, for podcasts and things is like, you can't really um, see past certain stuff sometimes, you know what I mean? Like your, your mind is just maybe more like you say, like analytical or whatever you're in podcast mode and stuff. And I get like that too, for sure. Definitely. And yeah, I just, I feel, you know, I feel like grateful that I got to see this when I did, you know, and have those sort of feelings attached to it as they are and stuff and be able to enjoy it now. And, um, you know, and I could tell this whole episode, Brian, and there was like a little bit of, um, like your voice just sounds a little different tonight in a weird way where maybe maybe it's just the on flux of confusion that is like sort of um you know settled onto it because of the movie or whatever but like usually we're sort of on you know if not the same page we're reading the same book but tonight I truly feel like like this book that we have we have two different languages <laughs> of the same book like I you know like I feel like maybe I've got happen. the French you're, version you're the and you've got the Spanish guest. version you're the most frequent <laughs> guest on High School Summer Party it's gonna happen it's bound to happen somewhere yeah you know how long it took for Joey and I to, to disagree on like a Nick Cage movie <laughs> and that was something going in where I thought for sure like that would be sort of the show was how much we disagreed but the show became like how much we agreed we're like this one sucks, right? You're like, yeah. Or like, this one's great, right? Like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's really Honestly, weird. I don't want to make it, I mean, we'll get to our grades, but I don't want to make it out like I hate this movie either. I just got questions. And my last question yeah, regarding yeah. the movie before we get into our awards and questions is going to be, did you like the credit scene of Jason Robards and Corey Feldman just singing and dancing and jiving and grooving? Nah, oh. Not only did I like it, I loved it. <laughs> I had great. forgotten all about it. I agree. I forgotten. You. <laughs> and you know what? It. You know what I said. I was watching it, and I started laughing, like and laughing, and like really getting into it. And at the end, 
I was like, holy shit, they're doing this together. Like at the same, they're in the same space doing this on stage together. They go up and like high five and hug each other. I was like, I bet they fucking got along really well, these two. And I've seen behind the scene footage of like the Burbs and Corey Feldman can like act. Let's just say he can act up on set and needs to be put in his place by Dick Miller sometimes. Ooh, uh, but like, that. oh, there's this great clip of behind the scenes that when Dick Miller passed away, um, I think like two or three years ago, there's this clip. He plays a garbage man in, in the Burbs and they're getting ready to shoot. And right before they yell action, Corey Feldman's like doing some saying something. And he's like, just shut the fuck up, kid. We're here to act. All right behave yourself don't be an idiot or something <laughs> it's like holy shit he just fucking whipped him in the shape uh, and it just feels like they had like a good relationship in this movie even if they didn't it comes across on screen like they have a chemistry and like that kind of like uh put a surprise me like put a smile on my face it's like wow i can't believe like jason robards like this esteemed actor you know all these everything and then Corey feldman like to just seems like such an odd pairing um it's almost like Sean Connery and Busta Rhymes or something. I don't know. <laughs> Good callback. Good callback on that one. Oh, man. Whew. So let's get into our awards superlatives. Let's do it. Some new ones this year, guys. But, Mike, you know them. You've been on High School Slumber Party. So first, Dream a Little Dream. Who was this movie made for? Great question. So, um, like, how many teenagers hang out with their grandparents? I'll be honest, I think maybe this movie was made for me at the age I saw it. Like, Mm. in 1989, this might be for the kids in middle school, or like, yeah, like, not quite high school yet, but like, going into high school. I think that it's made for Corey fans. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I agree with that. (laughs) I think that they made it, and they panicked, and they're like, we don't know who we made this for. We're not going to market this to old people, that's for sure. There's a lot of old people in it, but we're not going to, like, say it's their movie. Like, it's it's for Corey. It, it's probably pl- primarily who saw this movie, teenage girls, I'm going to bet. Really? And I bet they were way more tolerant than teenage boys when the old stuff came up. And they were probably like, oh, you know, like, look how sweet and romantic and stuff. Whereas guys are like, what the, why, why is there a horse-drawn carriage in this movie? Like, why are they <laughs> doing a horse-drawn carriage ride? <laughs> how about all that? How about all the dates that were, like, old-fashioned oh. stuff? Cheering in front of the battleship or whatever was part of the, what was that fucking aircraft? Is that the Intrepid? I was like, is this New York? No. No, some ship in Wilmington, North Carolina. I'll look it up. But <laughs> They do a callback date to that, and he's like explaining something, but there's music playing, but he's very excited. I think it's more for the teenage girl, you know? I'll agree with you because I couldn't find an answer to this. That was, like, one of the biggest (laughs) lingering questions to me. Like, who is this movie made for? I think it was one of the problems of the movie. They don't have that target audience, so it can be confusing. Yeah. But but I do think... But you know, you know, know what? I, I have a new answer. I have a new answer. I just came up with it. Oh, good. This movie is made for Mike Manzi. Maybe. I'm the one and only. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, but I mean, I think the the teenage girl that saw this movie was a little wiser than the one that didn't when it came to, you know, good, the good looking hunk or whatever, like what could lie beneath and all that, you know, this was priming them for fear and things like that. And not enough of those types of movies, if you ask me, you know, not enough of those like warning things, you know, fair, fair. on both sides, you know, not enough swim fans either. <laughs> In regards to that, I mean, you make a really good point, like. The toxic character is the bad guy. It's not like, you know, uh, Jake. Yeah, there's no. 
Yeah, there's no like clear otherwise antagonist. You're right. It's like that guy in the group is the villain. Yeah, like Jake Ryan in Sixteen Candles is a toxic guy, but he's the heartthrob. Like that's not happening here. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give it credit for that. That's for sure. It's also it's also at the other entire other end of that decade, which is interesting. You know, so very true, very true. Let's. It's kind of cool to compare. You know, something something from like. Something like Losing It, right? Losing It, which was made in like 1980. It's something like Dream a Little Dream, which was made in 1989. Now, albeit Losing It takes place in like the 50s and 60s and shit, but like still, it is what was thought of as, you know, a teen comedy at the time. Let's rapid fire these because I could just hear Joey's voice in my head right now being like, you talked over two hours on Dream a Little Dream. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, if you've seen the movie, you'd understand, especially having me on this episode. Well, like, again, it's not – It's this movie just gives you so many questions, and, and that's why. Okay. Most likely, <laughs> most likely to succeed. Who won the movie in your opinion? Who won the movie? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like – I think Jason Robert's character <laughs> wins. <laughs> right? Like it's not it's not any of the teens. Like they're just no. back in their teenage life. It's just him and his his wife of many years had a little fun adventure. Now they're back enjoying their golden years together. Oh, so yeah. Oh no no no. That that's not how I read the uh, that's not the that's not what happens when credits roll at all. He has figured out the secret of eternal life, my friend. It worked. It worked. It worked. Okay. But what, you have to take over someone else's body. That's not ethical. Well, that time, I mean, who knows next time, maybe he'll figure something out where he could, you know, fall asleep like Rip Van Winkle for a hundred fucking years and never age or some shit. I'm just saying, like, on top of, like, when I, when I turned this movie off, of course I'm thinking, like, he, he made it back. It's back where he wanted to be. He's back with his wife. Everything's sort of reset to like a better timeline now right everything's cool with everything and he's happy however like he knows this like horrible truth <laughs> like he knows this secret to life now that like he could put his mind in anybody's body that he wants if he wants uh. you know what i'm saying like that to me is like winning I so, want yeah, a sequel I mean, where, where Jason Robards builds a body to put his own mind into. <laughs> so he certainly won the movie. I don't think society wins the movie. I think he, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think he has potential to do some serious, serious damage with the, uh, with the, what's it called in Back to the Future? The, continu- the flux capacitor? No, the, some continuum or whatever. Oh, the timeline continuum? Yes, yes. I think he has some... No, I... I think he's. I think it's more like it's the astral plane where he's going. You know, have you seen Legion? Like he he wants to be, you know, a mind without a body. That's where his aspirations are. You know, he's got to be like Legion. Like yeah, like detach yourself, like evolve from the mortal coil. This lousy flesh we call body, no more. I am pure mind. Like, that's, I might have to write that fucking movie for myself or something. At least an outline. Like, that just, I need to see that R- now. Write it for me as well. So, because I, I need it at this point. Or, dream a little dream three. <laughs> Ooh, perfect for third time's a charm. Yeah. Wooderson Award. Is there a character here you would have liked to see more of? Um, Maybe their third friend. They've got like that third guy that kind of hangs out and gets shit on all the time. I don't think he says one word, maybe. Oh, I forgot about him. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, so they have like an extra friend that needed a, a couple extra lines. I really like the guy who played Dumas, the the main punk. Mm-hmm. Um, did you recognize him as well? By uh, any chance? He looks like familiar, but what's he from? He he's in Teen Wolf. Oh, he, he's the third friend in it's him, Teen Wolf, yeah, and Styles. You're right. You're right. Awesome. Good call on that. I actually picked uh, Corey Haim's girlfriend in real life, Lala. Oh, yeah. She's great. She actually is really great, and she's fun, and I wish she got more lines. She's she's great. She's got such a great energy, and there's one of those moments after the SATs where, where they're talking about something, and she totally overhears it and takes it the wrong way, and she's like... He says something like, uh, she loves you, she loves you. And she comes in, she's like, I told you that in secret. Damn it. <laughs> like, I was like, whoa, like, that's just such a random moment, but like, it fits so well. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So, you know, I would like to see a little bit more of her. So she was at one time, I believe, married to Chris Robinson of the Counting Crows. Oh, wow. Who was also married to Almost Famous, right? Um, Kate Hudson? Were they, I don't the, know if they the were real married. Kate Hudson. Uh, okay, they? they were just together. No, because I love but that married. that got oh Chris Robinson from from the Black Crows. Yes. Oh, the Black Crows. Okay. Adam Duritz is from the Counting Crows. And Mike, if you ever looked who this guy has dated, yeah. Oh my God, I, I have to Everybody. say that. I have to say it. <laughs> I know we're taking a lot of time, and I said, oh, let's just get the you know. Oh, but no, he was married. They were married from 2000 to 2007. Yes, the guy from the Black Crows. Yes. But Adam Duritz, I thought you meant from the Counting Crews. Um, no, 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 low. I'm sorry. I meant Chris Robinson. I got yes, the right. band names confused. No, they're I'm both crews. They're it's... both crews. Yeah. A- one counts. Adam Duritz. doesn't. His dating history. I've looked it up because <laughs> I had a coworker who looked just like him. And I was like, dude. With the dreads and everything? Uh, kind of. Kind of. Yeah. I'll show you a picture once we're off. And you're like, wow. He was like a younger version of him. So this list is just insane. Um, Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston, Winona Ryder, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa. Mary Louise Parker, <laughs> Emily Rossum. Like this guy has. The, I'm telling you, look it up on your own time because the list just goes on. Christina Applegate, what? Like he, Mr. Jones, yeah. and them <laughs> gets all the girls he wants. He is like one of the legendary like. That Counting Crows album is the fucking bomb, though. 1993 and shit. Like, that, that, I don't think there's a bad song on that album. So, like, th- you know what they say about, like, musicians and people, how attracted it's people true, are to musicians. <laughs> and it's not like he's an ugly dude. Like, those dreads were, were hot at the time. Kind of as a joke, but kind of not. I took one of my good friends for his birthday to a Matchbox 20 Counting Crows concert, like, two years <laughs> ago. And I'll tell you what, Mike. Every single song both those bands played, I could sing every word to those songs. And, <laughs> and I, I bought, I had some Matchbox Twenty albums like growing up when I was like in middle school, and I might have had that Counting Crows album, but I am by no means a like super fan of either bands. And I was just shocked that every song they played, I knew by heart. Those are two bands that were just hit makers. Definitely, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would hmm. make this film better? Who would you delete from the film? Hmm, that's... You can go in a couple directions tough. here, right? Because we did say there's a lot of stuff here that maybe could have been tweaked a little bit. Can I give you my um, hot take answer before you answer? Yeah, totally, totally. Love this guy, love this actor. But I feel like Harry Dean Stanton's only purpose was to prove that it wasn't a dream at the end. <laughs> He's like, no, no, how'd you do it? You know, He's like, oh, it wasn't a dream. 
I thought you were going to say it's like he's he's too stereotypically old person in the movie. Well, that's true. Like that. Whatever, <laughs> but like he's just. Well, isn't that what the Long Duck Tongue Award is? It's like who's it, like sort of the inappropriate. It's taken on two characters. things, right? Yes, who's the most okay. inappropriate character, or just who would you delete? Oh, I see, I see, I see. Well, it's hard to say you got to get rid of Harry Dean Stanton because Jason Robards doesn't have any other anybody else to bounce off of. Like in a weird way, and I don't want to do this, but the most logical answer is Dinger. He no! wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. He's not supposed to even be in the movie. No, not the <laughs> no I don't want them to get rid of him, but I'm just saying <laughs> that that fucking role isn't even supposed to exist. Like, and I'm saying like it doesn't really too much like it like i feel like they made it work by the end by the end like he was definitely going through the script beginning to end trying to work him in and at the end he figured out how to get him in there right but there's a, just a lot he's a lot of just like background noise i don't know what else to say man i don't want to do it but like it just <laughs> feels natural unfortunately oh man how crazy is that <laughs> It is crazy. It is crazy. And hot take. The hottest take on the Corys so far. Ouch. Cameron Fry Award. Did anyone look too old to be a high schooler? Mm, how old was Corey Feldman during this movie? I don't know. I mean, I guess I could buy him as a senior, but I don't think they were seniors. I don't know if they were or not. Um, it's tough to say. It, there's, there's no, like, egregious well, real answer. He's 49 now, and the movie was 89. That should be easy math, but I don't think he's that bad, honestly. I think he's around, you know the proper age okay so he was 18 yeah it's not that bad that's like exactly how he that's should perfect be, it's yeah. right on the money yeah well honestly for this era i'm kind of surprised there's no one that really stood out to me that like wow that's an adult playing a kid so yeah not terrible yeah, even jason robards only like 65 at the time so like you know i think like that was perfect aging for for him and, and yeah for sure yeah. for sure so mike i think you're, i think you're gonna be a little surprised by what i'm about to tell you Hit me. Every week we grade the film in the classic high school slum party way with a report card grade from A to F. And I slide that old Manila report card to you, Mike, first. And you give you give this movie your score. But we always compare to, you know, the, the, the general sites online. Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Critics. Zero percent. Whoa, wait, did any critic actually review this movie? Zero How does that happen? Zero percent? What? One of the zero percent films. 67% by the audience, which is a huge bounce. Whoa. So not everyone Yeah, it's not it. like... Yeah, it's not like the director took his name off it. You know? <laughs> it's not like... That happens. Holy shit. And let, wow, and 67% audience? That's got to be one of the biggest gaps. Huge gap, huge gap. Letterboxd. 2.6 out of 5. I kind of thought that's yeah. where it would be because, you know, Letterbox again, the film nerds, I don't, who mm-hmm. I'm not dissing, by the way. but they No, 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 but that that's a good general sort of score, I feel, for this movie. Like, nerds and, and non-alike, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you just watch Breathless and then you put this on, like, okay, I understand you give it, like, a 2. <laughs> <laughs> but, Mike, of course, this is, you know, this is a cornerstone film for you, so I'm not expecting is. a grade in line with the critics here or anything like that. What is your grade of Dream a Little Dream? Right. So I think, you know, I'm not going to – I can't give it the A that I want to give it because (laughs) it honestly just does not deserve it from like, you know, I guess from lack of a better word, like a structural standpoint, like the way the movie's 
made on every level like the way it's actually constructed you know so like i'm talking all the like it's got amazing things but it's also like i admit it's got some terrible things going on in here it's got some confusing things it's got some things that were kind of enlightening like it's amazing how like all over the place this movie is but like i gotta be you know more realistic and not live in a dream world so much and uh (laughs) You know, I, I will give this like a valid, I believe a valid C plus. Okay. And like that, that might seem low to people listening yeah, for how I'm much I like, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not like an idiot. Like I'm not blind. I know it's, you know, it's not like I would give like a bad movie an A just because I thought it deserved it. Like I, I'm trying to start to grade these movies on the way that they're supposed to be graded not the way that you know a, a super fan or whatever like i think uh i think it's a very uh well it's more of a it's a slightly above average movie i'd say but like for, it's not a very competent film you know what i'm saying like it is just not like it is confusing it is confusing it's confusing like yeah there's problems all over this thing so i have to be more realistic i think this semester brian i'm a bit tougher you know, people taking me to get the easy A are going to have some surprises from now well, on. I don't know if there's going to be a Corey film that gets the A then, if you're going to say that. But I don't know. License to... I am looking forward to that. <laughs> but, oh, okay. So my grade actually is closer to yours than I thought it would be. Um, and maybe people would think from the way I'm talking, I would give this movie an F or a D. But no, I'm giving this a C- minus because that old thing that I like to say, there's some really good ideas here. There were some really good moments here. I would just like you to go back, student of mine, dreamy little dream, and kind of reformat this because I think there's an A somewhere in this movie if you just yeah. figure out your ideas. I, I know exactly where the A is, okay? Like if I – I mean, look, and I'm no screenwriter, okay? I'm, I have not had a movie bought or whatever. But I've taken a couple glasses, okay? And I had pretty – great teacher for that kind of shit and i just have to what up tobin you're a great teacher anyway (laughs) um you fix this movie okay by making it the double body swap it deserves to be you fucking make the piper laurie character conscious in the teenage girl body and you have them figure this shit out together that's never been done and it still hasn't been done and you also amp up the psychedelic dream states as well and get Get a fucking green screen or a chroma key on set, goddammit. Did you know Tobin's, one of Tobin's nicknames in school was Pie Fucker? No, it wasn't. Yes, yes, it was. And that's a little, no, it wasn't. That's a little tease Why? for a future episode, what? Guys of High School Slumber Party. Did you already record that with him? I didn't record that. I've been recording with Island, his sister. Oh, his sister. you've been recording. Oh, you've got the inside scoop from the sister. So got some inside scoop that Pie Fucker was a nickname of... Tobin Addington. So we'll leave it but at that. That wasn't wait. Little tease, but that, little tease. But that movie came out like Tobin and I are the same age. That movie came out after high school. I thought. No, oh no, no, no. sorry. I guess sorry. The... I just said like it was in uh, one of his college. You know, he's a very accomplished person in college. One of his college uh, tenures. Mm. That was his nickname. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I still did not. I'll know tell you, I still did not know I'll that. Tell you off air. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike. My favorite segment every week, and yes, I'm excited to the hear bad, what you have the for sleeping us bag. Oh, oh, sorry. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I missed it. I keep missing the sleeping bag these days. Honestly. So my second favorite segment, we'll call it. 
What does your dreamy little dream sleeping bag look like at our slumber party? So I'm going to take a regular sleeping bag and I'm just going to fucking cut a holes in it everywhere randomly. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to hang a bunch of the Kaiser's medals on it. I... By the way, you were very Italian. You're like, I'm going to cut a hole. I'm going to cut a hole in it here. I'm going to get the stab at it there. I'm going to shoot Mo Green in the eye. Mike, <laughs> you don't come to Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that. One of the best oh, fucking, uh, yeah, so it's just going to be a real fucking ripped up, tattered, hot topic looking fucking, that's, that's what he predates. He, he's got a shirt you could totally yeah. market to hot topic, but yeah, I want like the bullet belt around there hanging off for no reason. Yeah, it's just going to be a crazy, uncomfortable sleeping bag. Well, you know, Mike, I'm going with another uncomfortable sleeping bag. I'm going like the Michael Jackson medals on the sleeping bag. I'm doing like, you know, that Michael Jackson outfit. Oh god! Just, just like imagine that, like you're sleeping and you have the medals on top of you. I, just like... I think he's wearing the Michael Jackson jacket in the poster. If I, if I don't know. I'm, I'm One of the posters, it looks like it. Yeah. Okay, so I teased this before, but I'll no, say it again. My my actual favorite question every week. You and I are on that wonderful, magical, the real last blockbuster in the sky that has every movie ever made up into this point today we know for our slumber party we're renting dream a little dream but it happens every week and yet i'm still surprised i see a sign at the counter while we're in line it says rent two movies get one free i say mike i'm gonna keep our place in line go to the back quickly get two movies we're gonna make this a trifecta slumber party what two other movies are we watching with dream a little dream okay so we're only renting two movies because <laughs> sometimes I know you uh, you rent more than two movies. Well, well, some people some people take liberties with the rentals. That's all on them. They gotta pay. Okay, okay, okay. I have uh, yeah, I definitely have two movies that I want to that I want to rent. First is um, this was my fi- one's got to be a, another body swap movie, right? We gotta go there. We gotta go down that road. So a proper one, I guess we'll say. And my favorite one when I was a kid, vice versa. I mentioned it a little earlier in the show, but you got your Fred Savage and you got your Judd Reinhold. All right. They switch bodies. It's pretty great. I think Fred Savage does a better adult than Judd Reinhold does a kid, but uh, that's a great one. That's a lot of fun. I really like that one. That's much better than the Dudley Moore, Kirk Cameron one in my book. Interesting. So vice versa, 1988. I think it helped, too, that I'm the same age as Fred Savage. So, like, it was almost like, you know, wish fulfillment kind of stuff in a way. So that's a good one. Um, have you seen that one? I have not. Okay, have it's not, not a high school it. It's not a high school movie. You've not heard of it? No, no, sorry. I have heard of it, but I've never seen it. Okay. All right, yeah. Um, so that's a good one. And then I think I'm going to have to go full-on dream crazy. There's this movie... From 1984, Dennis Quaid, Kate Capshaw. Class of 1984? <laughs> Kate Capshaw. Ooh, yeah. Spiel- Spielberg's lady. Yeah. David Patrick Kelly. Come out and play. Some more Twin Peaks. Ooh. And Max von, S- Max von Sydow. What are you talking so about? Because it sounds awesome. <laughs> so the movie's called Dreamscape. It's a sci-fi horror film from 1984. This psychic, Alex, is coerced into joining a government program where psychics like him are trained to enter others' dreams. He starts learning to use his abilities to do good, but before long, Christopher Plummer seizes control of the project. George Went, 
helps Alex uncover what? the true motives of the corporation, which involve assassination via dreams. What? Soon, only Alex and a beautiful scientist, Kate Capshaw, stand in the way of something terrible. Yeah, it's like a real Stranger Things, like, 11 situation. Have you seen Stranger Things season one? Yeah, yeah, of course. Wow. You know how, like... You know how, like, Eleven goes into the void and she finds someone and the goal is to, like, assassinate people on the other side of the planet in their mind and stuff? Like, that's this shit. It's awesome. <laughs> that's insane. And, Brian, if you love Dream Warriors, this is right up your fucking alley because it's around the same year and it's definitely got Nightmare on Elm Street on the mind because it is... Yeah, it's like a Nightmare on Elm Street, but like adults and like people, psychics fighting in mines on the astral plane and everything. It's awesome. Again, just reading the names back, like you said, Dennis Quaid, Max von Sydow, <laughs> Christopher Plummer, David Patrick Kelly, Kate Capshaw, count me in. Oh, George Went. George Went. Yeah, George Went. Count Norm. <laughs> That's insane. Oh, great picks. Great picks. Oh, nice. Man. So this was kind of our uh, little pilot episode. I know it was a little longer. Again, sorry, Joey. Uh, but we talked a lot of queries here. Trust me, guys. There are going to be films that we won't have this many questions and this much material about in the Corey's oeuvre. Yeah, yeah. We started hot. We started in a weird spot. But we started like in one of the harder... harder. Fl- I want to say it's a hard movie. But you know what I mean. Like one of the weirder movies. Like I think... Uh, I think we got like a good one out of the way, if you know what I'm talking about. Like now we now we can sort of like focus and not have to think about watching, watching and talking about this movie again. Oh, I'll be thinking about this one for a long time. Trust me. <laughs> but it probably you know how long I've been waiting to rewatch this. You know, because of podcasting, I, like I put movies on the shelf. I know I'm gonna get to on a show. So like I've been literally wanting to watch this for a year and a half. <laughs> well, I'm so glad we could finally watch it. I'm so glad we could finally talk about it. There are there are some really really great moments in this film i hope we didn't dissuade you by all the questioning and it's not always bad that a movie has a lot of questions this is like christopher nolan level questioning in dream a little dream <laughs> <laughs> holy shit this is it's basically inception folks would I mean, you it's the same would it would uh would you get a little bit of a i don't know a rush if you wake up one morning and you read on one of your film websites that christopher nolan was going to remake dream a little dream Oh my God! I'm first of all, I like Christopher I Nolan know you movies. Do. I'm I not know you like do. I'm not like some of the other people we know that hate Christopher Nolan movies or something. Like I, I really like those things. So yeah, I mean that would, I mean he he did his dream movie. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, w- he, would you think he, he can't do anything again? Like that's his thing. It's like he's done one and done almost. I don't know. About I'm that. surprised he made three Batman. Movies. I was gonna say. Uh... The only reason I think he embraced Batman was because he knew they were never going to give him James Bond. And he's like, I'm going to do a lot of that with Batman. Fair, fair. Well, Mike, again, this was a pleasure. Can't wait to talk a lot more Corey's with you over the next couple weeks. It's going to be really, really fun. We're going to have some guests on this little journey with us as well. And then come June, come June, we're going to be talking a prom film, I'm sure. Oh my God! Also, you heard what there? What else got remade? What? There's gonna be uh, another uh, Slumber Party Massacre movie. Oh yeah, yeah! You sent me that the other day. We have to cover that. 
Can't wait for that. Oh, man, I'm dreading prom this year, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to have a July thing we had to cover, but that's been moved to December. And we're going to have a... I'm like, I don't know if you know what I'm referring to, but so I'm going to say it anyway because we're in, enough in advance. But what the hell are you talking about? Spider-Man No Way Home has to be a, a mm-hmm. huge crossover between two of our shows, right? Because... I mean, if the rumors are true, <laughs> if the rumors are true, this will be more than one third Spider-Man movie. Woo, woo. I think we might have like a Spider-Man out thing. I think I want to cover all the high school versions of that, of all the franchises there. Did you do the Andrew Garfields? You haven't done those yet. I haven't those done are the high school ones. I haven't done Tobey Maguire. The first one's a high school one of that one. And I think both Andrew Garfield are high school, right? Or at least the first one. Is. Yeah, yeah. No, that was the whole conceit. Is like we want him to spend time in high school for a few movies. So let's do that. Yeah. So there's technically three more Spider-Mans we have to cover here, not counting No Way Home. The second Spider-Man uh, 2, the Tobey Maguire one, is not in high school. He's in college then. So that one doesn't count. But we're going to flip around some Spider-Mans at some point. It's going to be a fun year on High School Slumber Party. I haven't even announced, uh, well... Again, if the uh, slumbers pass all their test scores, let's see what happens. Let's see if they have a summer job or let's see where they perhaps go <laughs> this summer. I don't know. Summer school happened the first year. Last year they had to take a babysitting gig. We'll see, but it's going to be a fun year in high school slumber party. That's my point. I mean, maybe we'll go to the lake for the summer. Meatballs 4. It's a way to get another Corey movie in there. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But, Mike, this was a pleasure. Let people know where they can follow you, find you, listen to you, or whatever you want to say. First, I just have to say, Brian, thank you always for inviting me back. Every time I feel like it might be my last because I talk so much sometimes. I, You know, and just like, no, yeah, thank you so much for having me always. Yeah, so... First, you could find me, um, you know, cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. You know, Cage Club Prime, Cage Club with Joey and myself, the original run. Cage has done two two things this year, the Curse Words on Netflix and then Willy's Wonderland, uh, which is out on DVD as we speak. Just came out on DVD, so check out our episode on that. They are up. Um, we did a Hanks this year, News of the World, which was good. He kind of did his lone wolf and cub thing with a little girl uh, going across the Old West. And, um, you know, I think Joey and I, I'm going to tease this, we might be getting back on Elvis soon, sooner than later. So I'm looking forward to that. Every third of the month, though, is my show, Third Time's a Charm, where I talk about the third installment of a franchise. Brian is my unofficial co-host over there for many an episode holding it down with me. Um, most recent episode, I guess, would be Goldfinger, James Bond. That was a real fun episode. Talk a lot about that. Uh, and also on that episode is my official co-host for the other show I'm on, The Monsters That Made Us, which is the final Friday of every month. The last Friday of the month is a new episode of The Monsters That Made Us, which is Dan Colon and myself. We are revisiting all 31 of the original Universal Monster horror movies and uh, then we're going to take it from there just see what else we're going to do just keep talking monsters and horror and uh, we reached a milestone as of this recording we have a thousand downloads so thank you everyone who's listening that was way faster than i could have anticipated so that's everything i got well mike always a pleasure can't wait to talk our next Corey film ha! <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, ooh, that was a good episode Long, but good. 
I know we're going to get canceled from the Cage Club Podcast Network for doing these, but the Corys needed it. The Corys need a full flushing out, and I think we did it here. I think Mike Manzi, he'll be with us all month talking Corys. I love it so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mike. The party's still blasting outside, even though we are in our sleeping bags. We're ready to hit the hay. I don't know if we can. The bachata is playing way too loud out there. (laughs) I do have to assign you homework, of course. Can't be a Friday without that good old weekend homework. And your homework for Monday, while we're going back to the Black Teen Experience, Kirkland Shepard will be here, and the movie he's chosen for us to cover I've never seen it. I'm excited for this one. The Wood. Yo, Jay. Wait. Yo, you're a new kid, right? I'm from North Carolina. Yo, you play ball, Mike? I play baseball. Baseball. By the way, my name is Mike. Big Mike in the Wood. Oh, <laughs> what's the Wood? It's not what you think it is. Nah, it's Englewood, California. That's where I grew up. Me and my boys. Me, Roland, and Slim. Well, I never thought I'd see the day Roland get married. Nick, we got three hours till this wedding kicks off, and can't nobody find him. Tell that fool he could at least face me like a man. Get back in that car because you marry him, Lisa. Y'all act like you did in high school. Hey, Mike, I dare you to grab her booty. I will give you one dollar. You remember the bet? You remember the bet, Mike? Uh, No, I remember the bet. Do you remember the bet? thinking about all them school dances. I used to have all the girls, right? Oh. Yeah, you can dance, right? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like Dan Seeger. Wait, let me show you something. Let me show you something, all right? Ooh. Ooh, well. Girl, I'm going to show you something. Watch this. Mm. Mm. Oh, right now. <laughs> I'm getting tired. I think I'm going to stop. Y'all just jealous, that's all. Yeah, Yo, you know what, man? You need to just grow your ass up, man, and handle your responsibility. Man, I just don't want to be wondering what if. If he didn't want to get married, he shouldn't have asked. He said, I love you, I want to marry you. Go away, Roland. I mean, man, females get way too much power with this, man. Stop, stop. Look a physical thing. I'm not ready. How long we been going together? Is it supposed to look like that? What you doing? We all think I'm going to give it up after one week. Wow, wow, wow. That's not a lot of change in high school. The joke's over. Pass the cloak. Yeah, yeah. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. This one is going to be fun. I guarantee that. Tune in Monday, Kirkland Shepherd, myself, Black Teen Experience, The Wood. Woo. That trailer was awesome. (laughs) I'm tired. Like I said, I don't know if I'm going to fall asleep with all the bachata, but I'm going to try. Thanks so much for listening today. Thanks for still being here right now. Remember, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you can miss it. Let's go to bed with Rock On by Michael Damien off this awesome Dreamy Little Dream soundtrack. Later, dudes.
Oh.